This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number 219 and this week i am joined by a returning guest hello Haley. hello uh how are you doing today uh i'm doing okay i've been really busy lately but you know good busy good busy uh definitely better than bad busy yeah uh have you like been going out at all since uh you know the world is sort of restarting, I guess, or at least America is. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my friends all of a sudden like they're like, we can go places. Why would they want to hang out? So yeah. I've been, I've been out. It's yeah. really weird though. Like people, like I'm surprised that like I barely see anyone wearing masks anymore because it's not really. Like, Everybody here, everybody here still wears them. I don't know. Maybe it's in, maybe that's interesting that wherever you are, I don't remember where you are in New Jersey, but in the in the Bronx in Manhattan, everybody still wears them. Like especially yeah. even like even in like stores that no longer have the signs up requiring it, like everybody here still wears them. So that's interesting. Yeah, uh, like nowhere here requires them anymore. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's like one place here. Like one coffee shop that requires them still. Other places say, "Well, if you're vaccinated, you can come in." Yeah. Um, but it's like, uh, they don't ask you for your vaccination card or anything, so you yeah, could totally all scouts, walk in. It's all scouts honor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the people who are either stupid or crazy enough to not take their free miracle vaccine are definitely gonna follow those. Uh, honorable rules so <laughs> but uh anyway let's uh it's not just, people hate when we talk about covid so sure i mean i can imagine can you imagine being like in i don't know some other country because i remember i've talked to like foreign like you know uh people from europe and stuff about this and even people live in japan where they're like do you know what it's like for us when we hear that like americans have been able to get it for like six months and just a 20 to 30 percent of them are like i don't want that <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I must, I'm sure it must be infuriating. But. It's, like, so weird because, like, literally, didn't they start, like, offering up, like, cars to people? And, like, they're like, if you get a vaccine, you went to a raffle for, like, yeah. some ridiculous amount of money. And it's, like, 
Like the <laughs> fact that they have to go to these lengths and people still won't get a vaccine is it's just so bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I remember when I was, uh, a f- this was like a, even over a month ago now, I think, when I was, or maybe even two months ago, I was hanging out with my friends and we were at this hibachi place in New Jersey and they happened to be playing. Uh, it was, oh, I remember this because it was the very first day that New Jersey reopened bar seating because I remember we sat at this fucking, at this bar in this tiny suburban hibachi restaurant and it was like, wow, it's great to be at any kind of bar again finally after all this time. Because uh, I think New York had only reopened bar scene like maybe a week or two before New Jersey did, maybe a little earlier, but I think it was only like a week or two. And I hadn't been to one uh, before they did that. And we were sitting at this bar waiting for our table, and they they were playing a uh, oh god, it was like a like a concert, like a tr- like a fucking uh, tribute concert or like a you know what, what do they call those things? Those uh. You know, like, I totally can't think of the word where, where they have the all day marathons to try to raise support for whatever. It doesn't matter what, the, what it's called, but they're playing this concert. And the whole point of it is to raise awareness about the vaccine. And I just remember one of my friends turning to me and being like, this is rock bottom. We have to have celebrities and famous singers come on TV and tell people, please go take your miracle free vaccine. Please, and it's like we have to put an entire primetime TV block on a Saturday night aside of this for like vaccine aid. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is probably rock bottom. I have to say. <laughs> but uh, anyway, other than that, watch any good anime lately? I don't know. Uh yeah. Um, I've been watching. Uh, for this season, the show I've been watching is the second season of Zombieland Saga. Ooh, my friend um, loves that show. I'm obsessed with it. It's so good. The last episode actually made me cry. Oh, wow. This is about the zombie idols. Yeah. Is it for people? Yes. Yeah. So I, I I saw like one episode. I haven't, I really, I should check it out later. Um, the only thing I've been watching is Nicole and I have been re, we finished that, the, uh, the time I was reincarnated as a slime. Uh, Tinsula, and we finished season two, part one, and Nicole was like, "I want to rewatch all of season one now because I barely remember it." And we're like, "Okay," so we've almost finished that. We're like, I think we have like two episodes left to finish rewatching season one, and then season two, part two is going to start. I think in like two weeks. So I don't know if you're into that show or not, but uh, that's like on my list of things to watch. But yeah. I still have like like things that I'm in the middle of that I need to finish, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I have ReZero season two part two that I like I'm like part mm. of the way through, but I needed a break because that show like cramps a lot of information in at once. <laughs> I think it's all like the Isekai kind of... all the Isekais do that, I think. Yeah. They're all like, like just information overload. Well it's like more like the plot is like very uh weird and complicated. <laughs> At this mm. point of the show, that it's like oh, I see. It's, it's like, like building layer after layer after layer, right? One of those shows. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen ReZero, so it's one of the again one of the ones I need to get. My friends all tell me to watch that one because oh, I really usually good. do. I usually do like Isekai, so not all of them. I mean, the, there have been Isekais I've watched where I'm like, wow, that's horrible. So like, okay, here's a great example: Overlord, terrible but- show. That doesn't look like anything I'd want to watch. <laughs> it's really, I could barely get through a few episodes of it. It's really terrible. Uh, but yes, there's most 
most of the guys I, I watch, I like, but uh, there are there's some 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 of the genre they're just not interested in doing anything interesting with it. So, you know, it's yeah. definitely because it's a very cookie cutter genre right now. It's like anyone feel, I guess can, uh, you know, feels like they can make a buck with it. So there's a lot of stuff that just isn't watchable, but it's like the dominant genre. So I don't know yeah. how, how long much longer that's going to last, but I guess we'll see. I don't know. I'm usually not an isekai person because I don't. They're mostly like Western fantasy, which I'm not really into. I think it's related more mm-hmm. Eastern fantasy isekai, which is I guess like Inuyasha or Fushigi Yugi. Mm. Um, I think are the only ones I can. I do love. Fu- like that. I, I love Fushigi Yugi. I don't know if you're. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that show. Um, I never seen Inuyasha honestly. I mean, I've done a f- few episodes, but I love. I've only seen a few episodes, but like, yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those shows where I want to watch more of because. The concept is really good, I guess. The the Western, like the the ones that is it kind of I like that are like sort of Western fantasy. They're like the ones that play it more like a JRPG, which yeah. can also have a lot of Western fantasy elements. Like you know, there's a lot there's a lot that are like that. I think, but the ones that like lean really heavy into like you know being more like fucking Lord of the Rings is just like okay. And I, I have yeah. I don't I don't have any interest in that either. But. Yeah, no, that's the same with me. Like. You know, it has to be like, like the ones that are like JRPGs are really funny to me because like, you know, sometimes I play like, uh, like a lot of the like RPG mobile games that are like the Japanese RPG mobile games that are really popular. And so mm-hmm. every time I watch the shows, it's like, oh, it's just like playing a video game. So it's kind of like <laughs> funny for me. I know you're like the mobile game queen because I remember when I was talking to you about Magia Record last time you were on you already knew the whole plot because you'd already played the game, I think. Yeah. But, well, that one actually, the, the English, the, the English language server for the North America actually shut down. Ah, that's all before the game could finish. In other words, like before you could get the whole plot. Yeah. I mean, it's still yeah, open in Japan, but like, I guess they weren't making enough money outside of Japan see. to continue it. That sucks. I mean, I know the anime is going to continue, but who knows how, like how much more of the story that I'll get to. Yeah. And of course there's always, you know, there's people who will like, this is how I ended up watching the story eventually because I got sick of playing the game. There's people who just put the, all the story like scenes Mm -hmm. in all the story chapters on YouTube with subtitles. Oh, I see. So that's how I got most of the plot. Right. So I'm just doing that at least, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, are you going? Plan to go to Otakon, by the way? Nope. No, it's too soon for you. Well, I'm. I've just like I've never been to Otakon, and oh, also really? like I, I've never. I I don't have anyone who's going, and I, mm. I don't want to like go all the way to Baltimore by myself. Yeah, that's fair. I am. We're we're going, so I'm starting to get excited because we're about like, what, like six weeks out. I think maybe, maybe seven. I don't know. I'm bad at math. I'm bad at like math in my head, but uh, no, yeah, almost seven. It'll be seven. That was a Thursday, so I'm just excited to go back to a con again. It's gonna be gonna be fun. I wish anime next could have happened. It was like two months too early, basically. <laughs> I know. Like August, they could have done it, but June was not happening. That's like for people listening. That's like the New Jersey. Uh, well, it used to be North Jersey, then they moved it all the way to Lake City. Which I always think like there's there's now like a gap there. Like if someone else should try to run like a North Jersey slash New York City fan con, 
because we have anime nyc but that's like you know very heavily industry so you know more like a fan anime con you know it feels like there's a gap there but i don't know because anime next is basically a different market now it's like closer to philly so but i assume you're going to go to anime nyc right if you most likely um i'm kind of waiting because i want to see if like I, f- I fear that there's going to be like a huge spike in like COVID oh, yeah. like, as the summer goes on. So I want to see what's going on with that. But if everything's, you know, good, I am hoping to go to that. So, yeah, I mean, that is a good point. It's not till November. So it's like, who knows what the fuck will happen between now and then. I'm hoping like if Japan can get some people, some more people vaccinated, because it seems like they're, they've really picked up the pace on that finally maybe we can have some japanese guests anime nyc but it's like you know who knows really i mean somehow yeah. like somehow i think well i shouldn't say this because it's actually not announced there's a rumor that a prominent new japan uh wrestler who is not currently announced is gonna be on that august show uh and somehow, I guess like Kojima and Nagata made it, you know, have made it here. So it's not like Japanese people can't get in the country. But I assume the two week, like, uh, you know, God, what's the, <laughs> I can't can't think of words tonight. The two week quarantine uh, when they, you know, when they come back is like makes it tough. So hopefully that'll be over by November, and then you know. But you, I guess you really have to know months ahead of time, right, to book a guest. So who knows? Yeah. I just hope it's not all like. English voice actors because you know god bless people who love dubs I'm not trying to be a hater but I just couldn't give less of a shit about English voice actor guests but yeah I don't I don't <laughs> I I yeah I don't think I really watch anime in English like ever I think oddly enough one of the few anime I watch in English is Yu-Gi-Oh because that one's mm. like nostalgic for me but like gotta newer have, anime I always just watch it in Japanese gotta have Brooklyn Joey there you go. <laughs> yes. Joey Miller. Well, he came <laughs> it's so good it's so good it's Brooklyn his Brooklyn rage uh but yeah the uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of his accent now and Tristan's too honestly and especially the first Tristan but I also lo- I also love you. Pregnant. And <laughs> or the hair guy. Attention, duelists. <laughs> <laughs> no one like, like two people probably have any idea what we're talking about, but I'm not gonna say what the reference is. It's gonna let people not know. Yeah. Uh, but yes. <laughs> the uh I forget what I was gonna say now. Oh uh, yeah. So the the like for Otakon, I'll deal with the all like all the guests are announcing are English voice actors. I'm like, okay, for Otakon, I'll deal with it. Otakon's more like the appeal and going is like, you know, it, it'll be a big party because everybody's happy to be back at the first con in a while. And plus, there's so much like fan content, and you know, it's not as big of a deal to me that they're not going to have any Japanese guests. But like, anime MYC has to have Japanese guests, otherwise, that con is like, like that's supposed to have like you know, a big concert and like tons of industry people there and. They, like, if nobody can come to Japan for that con, I don't know what that con's going to do. It's going to be like, hey, do you want to see some English voice actors for the next three days? I'll be like, no, not really. Thank you. <laughs> but, what do you, you know. Uh, I mean, for me, I'll, I'll still be excited because, I mean, the main things I'm excited for usually are, like, 
seeing people's cosplay and going to like artist alley and mm. those are always pretty good yeah. so you know i'll still i'll still enjoy myself also of course buying cute girl anime figurines that yeah. i really shouldn't be because i have nowhere <laughs> to put them <laughs> you always do you always i one of my friends like has a basically for a long time it was like every con he went to be buy one figurine and i want to be like first of all i don't know how you afford that because these things are like three hundred dollars, and you go to like four cons a year. But second, oh, I don't of all, buy, this, buy the, those oh, ones. <laughs> I buy like the like prize figures that are like thirty dollars. Oh right, right, right. The ones I like the I have a I have a Sakura, obviously from Cardcaptor Sakura, not not from Street Fighter, uh, who I won in at around one, and you know yeah, you look it up online, it's like you can buy it for like twenty bucks, but. Look, I won her, okay? I won her for like eight fifty, so take that. <laughs> Still came out ahead. But yeah, the prize figure ones, I know what you mean. Uh yeah. but yes, he was like buying three he was like buying three or four of these like three hundred dollar figures a year. And finally and he was like, Oh, I was like I was like, You've really watched all these shows? And he's like, Oh no, sometimes I just buy one that looks cool and then look up the show later. And I was like, Okay. It's a lot of money to spend on something you don't even know what it's from. But yeah, you know. but I guess like I guess like the sometimes sometimes I'm like that like I really want to figure and I'm like I don't like sometimes it's from shows I actually like really don't like at all just because like mm. it's like pretty and I'm like I just want yeah. it I just want it but like yeah it's yeah fair. you know like there's like it's really funny because I have like the list in my head of all like the really expensive figurines that I want but it's like I'm never like ever going to get them. I think the most yeah. I'll spend on a figurine is like, I mean, I guess Nendroids are like usually yeah. 40, 45, and I think that's like the most I've spent on a figurine. Nendroids, I think, I think Nendroids the most we ever spent too. Did I ever get like any? I don't think I have any nicer ones because we have. I have a Homer a Nendroid, and I forget how much she was. She might have been more like sixty, but I don't think I've ever spent more than that. So. Uh, yeah, so that's Anime Corner, I guess. Um, <laughs> get to, get to, well, people, I, I, the, the, like another guy today, like tweeting at me about how much he loves the anime talk on this show. So anytime I have a guest that can actually do it, because obviously if I bring on, uh, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out a random voice wrestling name. If I bring on Suit Williams and be like, hey, Suit, let's talk about Otakon and uh, figurines. He's going to have no idea. You know, he's not going to be able to really, uh, you know, contribute much to the conversation. So it depends on which guests you have, you know. But yeah. uh, before we get into the uh, actual sh- shows we're here to talk about today, which is DDT and Tokyo Joshi, I just want to remind everybody, of course, that the Wrestling Omakase Patreon Network is uh, still going and it's still available for only $5 per month. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up, especially this week. When we have a brand new uh, Patreon exclusive episode, probably going up on Saturday, June uh, 26th, which is a big episode for us every year. It is the annual mid-year awards. So we do that episode every year. Uh, we bring out a whole panel full of guests, uh, you know, usually all from the Voice of Wrestling site. And we got a cool panel lined up this week, this uh, this year. Uh, actually, got the list in front of me. Let me grab them. Uh, we have Andrew Rich from the Music of the Map podcast, and then written contributors Jerry Kelly Suit, who I just mentioned, and uh, Paul Vosch. Uh, they'll all be on with me this coming weekend. 
to do their mid-year awards. It'll be a really wacky year for the mid-year awards, trying to pick the best and worst. I've been started trying to think about it. I'm like, huh, I don't know what to choose because wrestling's kind of sucked this year. But, you know, it's uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, so, we'll, 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 you know, we'll do our best to give our best and worst picks for the first half of the year. And it's an episode I love doing every year because I feel like in the year-end awards, like January through June has a tendency to get really short-shifted, you know? Because people, other than like the really big stuff, people tend to have a very strong recency bias in the year-end awards. So, you know, mid-year awards uh, let us really, you know, highlight what happened in the first half of the year. It's going to be weird this year because it's been, like I said, a pretty shitty year for wrestling, but we're going to do our best. And that'll be, again, exclusive to the Patreon this year. So if you want to hear that episode, if you like it every year, got to sign up for the Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. The other stuff we have is that we're coming up to the home stretch in our series of uh, every Naito Tanahashi match in order. I just did the Tokyo Dome match from 2017. Uh, which was obviously an amazing match. It was great to go back and relive it. And, you know, the audio of that is up right now on the Patreon. And then we have two, the, the rest of the 2017 trilogy. Going to try to get through both of them this week. And then after that, we only have one match left because they only have one further match in the 2020 G1. And then after that, we're going to get back to the series uh, reviewing every Tokyo Dome main event in order since New Japan, of course, re-announced a new Tokyo Dome date for the end of July. So we're going to, we left off in 1995 when we did it through January and February. So we're going to be, you know, going through all the new Japan versus UWFI stuff. Um, you know, just basically uh, all the late 90s stuff with, you know, all Japan running the dome, uh, the very ill-advised all Japan 2000 show. And, you know, when, when I do the main event, I also talk about the rest of the show. Uh, I go through the great eggshells book by Chris Charlton you know, give some notes from that and just kind of, if I've seen the rest of the show, I go through it or I, you know, pick out some random facts or whatever, but obviously the main focus is on the main event and we go, you know, blow by blow through that. But yeah, that'll be coming up, you know, probably not this week, but probably either starting next week or the week after all on the Patreon, all exclusive, all for only $5. Uh, so again, if you're, if you miss getting the show every week, you know, since we're now only every other week on the free feed, of course, every other week is a new Patreon-exclusive episode, so you can still get a full Omakase every week, plus all the other bonus content we do. So it's patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. And if you like the anime talk at the start, we might be doing a new anime Omakase on the Patreon soon. So definitely check that out. Okay, the show we're going to talk about, the DDT, King of DDT second round, and the Tokyo Joshi additional tax show, both from Cork and Hall. I think we'll start with DET and we'll start with the main event and work our way down. These are, you know, two good shows. I would say two kind of opposite shows where the DET show to me had some really strong stuff on the undercard. Um, but then a, I don't know how you feel about it, but maybe, maybe you felt differently. I thought it was a pretty lackluster main event. I mean, not like it was bad or anything in DET, but like definitely disappointing. Where Tokyo Joshi was the exact. Yeah, the main event, Hiroshima and Hino. Okay. Yeah. And then the the Tokyo Joshi show was the opposite for me, where I thought the main event in Tokyo Joshi was awesome. I mean, that tag title match was so good, but the undercard was like a little, eh, you know, could have been better. But, you know, so if you put these two shows together, you would have had uh, one damn good show. But overall, I mean, these are still two good shows, but with some notable flaws, I thought. But yeah, I don't know if you have any big picture thoughts before we get into the 
match by match. Um, I agree with your assessment of the DDT show. Um, I mean, I enjoyed the total, all of the Tokyo Joshi show, but I also just, like, Tokyo Joshi is kind of, like, everything I want in a wrestling promotion. So, of course, everything they to me is, like, fantastic. <laughs> so I'm yeah. a little biased. I mean, I didn't think it was a bad show or anything. I've just seen them have way better Korokans, I guess, over, like, all around. But I oh, still yeah, thought yeah, it was definitely. a... Uh, yeah, I mean, just still a good show, but like a little, a little under what I expect from Tokyo Joshi Corkin, I guess. Uh, mm. But yeah, let's get into it. We'll start with the DET. So this was, of course, the King of DET second round. Now we covered the first round again, not to sound like a broken record, on the Patreon. So again, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase if you want to hear all my thoughts on all the first round matches. Uh, but this is a, only a 16-man tournament this time. You know, in recent years, it's usually been longer. Uh, I don't think it was, I think it was like maybe 31 men. Cause they had like a, you know, they had for sure, for sure one more round, but the big difference was they had like a last chance battle Royal where all the people eliminated in the first round could, uh, come back and try to get a, you know, second shot into the quarterfinals, um, which they did not have this year. So it was just a straight up 16 man tournament and the eight losers in the first round, just, uh, you know, just for losers, <laughs> no, no second <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so we had four second round matches here, and then they did a redraw at the end of the main event. So there was no like, uh, you know, no clues based on who was going to the, you know, who based on the, the brackets as far as who was going to beat who. Uh, so the main event here was Yuji Hino defeating Hiroshima with the fucking bomb in twenty four forty nine to move on to the quarterfinals. This, you know, I. It was really boring early on. You could tell they were going going long here. There just was not much going on. And, you know, Hino, the whole thing was like Hino tries to crush Hiroshima. Hiroshima keeps dodging. He eventually gets a figure four. But it was just pretty slow and not super interesting. It was like it had that, it had the New Japan main event disease where like, you know, <laughs> the early part of the match just had nothing going on. And it's like, and sometimes that's okay in New Japan where, like, the, the rest of the match makes up for it, especially when they're going 35 or 40. But here they're only going 25. So I just did not feel like we got enough to make up for it after the the really boring early portion. And the other problem is the rest of it wasn't, like, super great either. Like, at one point, Hiroshima went for a reverse Rana, but it was a pretty bad one. Hino just kind of, like, landed on his back without, like, while well, barely going over. It just was not a good reverse Rana. Um... Right after that, though, I thought things did pick up. Uh, Hino caught Hiroshima trying double knees in the corner and just sent him absolutely flying with a uh, this suplex of sorts. Like, I, he caught him and it just kind of turned it into a suplex in midair. Uh, and then right after that, he ran him over with a gigantic lariat. Uh, but then he, uh, Hiroshima came back with the Samato. Hino kicked out of it. Uh, so after Hino kicked out, Hiroshima, like, went to town on him with kicks uh, Hino tried to grab him from behind for a German suplex out of nowhere, but Hiroshima grabbed onto his legs to block. Hino finally lifted him all the way over for the big German, but only got a two count. Uh, but pretty soon after that, Hino hits the fucking bomb. He goes for the one-hand pin, which I'm thinking is going to be like, okay, that's going to be Hiroshima's out, or Hino's out here when Hiroshima kicks out. He was too cocky. But Hino just, Hiroshima's got pinned with one hand. That was <laughs> it for him. Uh, so I was pretty stunned by that. But yeah, especially watching this live and unspoiled, I was like, okay, then. And I guess the idea was, okay, we're going to make Yuji Hino look like a big monster and 
He'll kick out the Samato and he'll pin he- Hiroshima with his finisher with one hand. But I don't, I mean, I, maybe it's, maybe it succeeded in doing that. But as far as like having a great match, I thought this was pretty damn disappointing. They just didn't click to me or gel at all. Uh, it started out very dull. Even the stretch run wasn't nearly as hot as it could have been. Some real awkward spots. Some stuff looked really good, but not enough of it. So this is a gentleman's three to me here. Uh, you know, definitely a three-star match. Just like, it was fine, but, uh, you know, disappointing compared to uh, two of the earlier King of DAT matches that we're going to talk about. Uh, what do you think about Hino and uh, Hiroshima? Um, I mean, I guess it was similar to me. I mean, honestly, nothing really stood out to me about it at all. Um, I don't know if it's just like that it's kind of like a boring match in general or if it's just not like my type of match, but just, uh, yeah, it's really like I was the previous matches I was like super into so I thought like oh yeah like I was really hyped up going into this one and then I was just like it's kind of fell flat for me yeah especially because the other matches were much shorter and I think just very energetic and then like they went into this very long slog to start this match and it felt like okay (laughs) fun time is over Uh, we're in detention now I guess yeah. At least, like, their, like, idea of, like, a long dog match is only 25 minutes. <laughs> That's true. You know, like, 25 minutes is, like, the entire long slog part of, like, a New Japan main <laughs> event before we get into, like, the, the next 20 minutes of, like... Yeah. Are they are they almost done yet? I feel right? like I feel like most New Japan main events that have a long slog, it's, like, 15 but that's still pretty unforgivable because it's like 15 minutes of slog. And yeah, like, well, it, it feels really long. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I guess we'll have to wait. I mean, there's there are times when they do they do there's there's wrestlers who do the early portion of an early portion. I don't know why I just said it, early portion of a New Japan main event better than others. Like I thought the best at it this year was probably Naito and Ibushi at uh, not the not the Tokyo one, the New Beginning one where they just spent all this time, uh, all this early time that's normally super dull on Naito, like just working complete heel and like targeting Ibushi's, I think he targeted his legs and, you know, they really made the early part of that ma- early part of that match, like super interesting, which to me is like to get to that elite level match, which is, you know, that's my match of the year right now. Like you have, I'm not one of these people who's like, you know, if, if the last 20 minutes are awesome, but the first 20 minutes were super boring, you know, we'll call it match of the year. It's like, no, the, the entire match has to be good for yeah. to be match of the year. And I can still give it, give you like four and a quarter, maybe four and a half stars. But like, if you're going to be four and three quarters, five stars, match of the year, you got to be good the entire time, which Naito and Ibushi were. There's a lot of matches, though, in, in uh, New Japan this year that are not. So, you know. Uh, but yes. I mean, that I wouldn't was know because I, I haven't really watched New Japan this year. Yeah. Did you see the Naito and Ibushi or no? No, I actually didn't know they had a match this year until right now, and now I'm going to go two. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, no, because yeah. I haven't been following it, because I've just been, like, so disappointed by a lot of things starting from last year that, like, it's just, like, watching New Japan makes me, like, frustrated and mad, so yeah. it's hard to watch. No, but yeah, they had, they had the one the Tokyo Dome, and they had the one at New Beginning. 
which was just for the Intercontinental title, which are both really good. Oh yeah, no, I, but did, I, I did watch the Tokyo Dome one. I did watch okay. that. But but the 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 New Beginning one, I think it's very slightly better because that early portion is better, like I said. So okay. it's very close. But those, I mean, they're number one and two for a match of the year. So uh, the semi-main event of the show we're talking about, King of DDT, was Daisuke Sasaki defeating Junakama with a cradle, quote unquote. And four <laughs> minutes and two seconds. Uh, I should always uh, note, as always, that the uh, the results are coming from Dramatic DET. So thank you to Jamie and DramaticDET.wordpress.com. Uh, so Sasaki beats Akiyama in 402. Now, if you missed the first round, Sasaki beat uh, the DET Universal Champion, Yuki Ueno, in about two and a half minutes uh, by cheating. And now he beat the KOD Openweight Champion in four minutes by cheating. So, Daisuke Sasaki is the superpower in DDT. Uh, Akiyama, I, I lo- this one was, like, Akiyama basically destroyed him from the opening bell, which I thought was really funny. He just fucking <laughs> killed him and seemingly had him pinned right away with an exploder suplex before Pauly just pulls the ref out of the ring. Uh, Mad Pauly charges Akiyama, gets put down pretty easily by a backdrop suplex, but Sasaki then low blows Akiyama, he tries to follow up with a Rana, which he did to Ueno. I don't know if that's how he pinned him, or I don't actually don't think it was. I think Pauly uh, was grabbing uh, Sasaki from the outside, but he did follow up with a Rana against Ueno. Uh, Agama's ready for it though. He just like catches him and power bombs him down. That was a pretty cool looking high speed counter. Uh, Agama then had to stop himself from colliding with the ref, and that let Sasaki low blow him again and cradle him for the pin. Uh, so it's tough to rate since it's only a few minutes long. Like I said, the second straight match for Sasaki like that. Uh, and I don't think it was quite as fun as a super quick Ueno match. So I gave it like two and a half stars or whatever, but it doesn't really matter. It was, it was fun for what it was. And it was funny for sure. And it's really more of an angle than a match. And, you know, Sasaki is just like cheating his way through the tournament. And Agama's hopes of uh, winning and getting a show. Get, he was going to name Shinshiro Takagi. As his challenger at Kawasaki, which the moment he said that, I was like, oh, yeah, you're, you're not winning this tournament, buddy. Like when Tetsuya Endo was like, I'm going to nominate Kenny Omega as my challenger, even though the match didn't end up happening, uh, it was like, okay, well, he's going to win the DL. But when Akiyama is like, I'm going to name Takagi as my challenger, it's like, okay, well, you're not winning this tournament. I don't know. What to do. They are not main eventing uh, this outdoor Kawasaki Stadium show with Jun Akiyama versus Senshiro Takagi. It just was not happening. So. Uh, but there you go. This is, Akiyama is gone, and Sasaki moves on to the semifinals. Um, I am personally rooting for Daisuke Sasaki to win the entire tournament like this. I think <laughs> it's really funny. Um, you know, I was thinking, because like normally like this kind of ending is like, you know, in, in certain other promotions is very overdone and just makes me like frustrated and just rolled rolled my eyes when oh, I you can, you can say the name All Elite Wrestling. <laughs> I was actually thinking WWE. I don't well, really watch AEW that much. They both do it. I I turn on AEW for two seconds every week. Okay, this is my new thing. I'm instead of trying to watch full shows, and I turned it on this past Friday when I've been doing these weird Friday night shows, and what I got was a match between Orange Cassidy, who's great. I'm not trying to bury Orange Cassidy. Uh, a match between Orange Cassidy and some guy who I've never seen before who had an entire stable uh, full of, like, it was like Dolph Ziggler's brother and uh, Peter Avalon, the former librarian, 
and uh, JD Drake from Evolve, who really should not be fucking lowering himself to do this. And the gimmick appeared to be that they were doing Rico from WWE in 2002. And because every they were like styling each other's hair or something. And every time Orange got thrown out of the ring, they would style his hair on the outside. And then like five people ran in the ring and it was a whole big mess. And I was just like, I don't know. It's like very weird and corny and like sort of feels like an American DDT, but not nearly as funny. And that's just kind of, it really sums up DDT for, or AEW, I should say, for me. It's like American DDT, not as funny. But they really, but yes, I think the point you were going to make is that this this was one match on this show that had this kind of finish, not 500 matches, which seemed yeah. really, like every or match like that- on AEW. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Or that one, like, G1, where, like, Bullet Club were, like, ending every match mm. like that, basically. Yeah. Well, they, were, they weren't low-blowing anything, but they were doing other things. Like, every match ended with cheating. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I actually, oddly enough, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did start watching AEW again. Uh, just because I had nothing better to do. Um, I didn't watch the last Friday one because I was walking, watching Tokyo Joshi. But I watched the, like, two episodes before that one they aired. Mm. And it's definitely... Some of the stuff is, is pretty good, but some of it, is, it really is just so bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't I, know. I, it's just like... It's just like Cody Rhodes, stop talking. Yeah. I mean, they, just, they do way too many run-ins. And, and it really annoys me that they... Like, the paths they get for it, too. But yeah. like, like it's like, okay, did I turn on Dynamite? Yes, I did. So there must be uh, six people who are not in this match at ringside and they're already in the match. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And it's like, okay. But yeah, I feel like they're trying to do the whole like New Japan thing of like everyone's in stables, but like they're not handling it too well. Yeah. Cause like, first of all, they have two, they, okay, I, I know some people hate this criticism, but like for, for me who tunes in, you know, on one, like maybe 20 minutes a week or once in a blue moon or whatever, I can't keep track of all the stables they have now. And, you know, I don't know. Like, like New Japan has, like, what, five of them, right? Yeah. Like, I'm miscounting. It's like Chaos, LIJ, Suzuki Goon, Hontai, uh, Bullet Club. Bullet Club. That, that's it, everybody. That's all of them, I think, right? Yeah. I'm not missing anybody. Unless you want to be like, oh, Toguchi Japan. It's like part of Hontai, buddy. Also, go back to 2017 person who doesn't exist <laughs> just <laughs> making up a person to get to, to scold uh because i just can tell somebody at their fucking at their computer's gonna be like oh toguchi japan anyway uh and i guess like there's there's shit on strong but strong doesn't count i'm sorry uh <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't exist joel from I super like- jcast can tell you whatever he wants but... what do you watch strong no, no, I was going to say I, like, forgot that it existed until you just mentioned it. <laughs> They're going to do that show in August in front of fans, and it's like, great. When you have people in the building, I'll be happy to watch. But, yes, the point is, though, New Japan has, like, five big stables, and I feel like AEW has, like, 15 small ones. And I definitely I prefer five big ones to 15 small ones. But And I feel like they all have, like, kind of similar-sounding names about how, like, they're the best. Whereas, like, <laughs> you know, the stables in in new japan i'll have you know very distinct identities and that they aren't just like you know like in, in aw it feels like there's a dark order and then there's like a bunch of different groups of like little annoying pricks 
going yeah. around and claiming they're the best. I have no and then, oh, and then I mean, there's I, there's the inner circle. Those are like the only yeah. darker and inner circle. I think are the only two that seemingly matter. I don't know. The rest of them just. I'm like, who are you? There's what? There's the elite. There's the pinnacle, which is the like elites, is the elite still together? I don't. I don't know. Whatever <laughs> the fuck they are, the Kenny and the Bucks and the Good Brothers and. I, did they have anybody else? I don't even know. I don't know. Bullet Club USA, I guess. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, the Pinnacle is the MJF one. Whatever I just saw from the... Uh, what's it called? The, the fucking Rico WWE unit. Uh, the... Oh, God. I'm, trying to, I'm really trying to think. Uh, the, the fucking... The, the Cody? Anti-Cody? The nightmares. There's, there's like Cody, oh, well, like Cody nightmares. Cody has the nightmare family. That's right. That's right. Full, totally forgot about that. But I was talking about the anti-Cody unit, the uh, the one that that British man who wants to fight slavery and is supposed to be the heel uh, belongs to, Anthony Agogo. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know <laughs> what you're talking about, but the same, I'm like, I don't remember their, what their name is. It's like a no bunch. It's mostly just a bunch of like nobodies oh, who are there to get like, beat up by Cody. <laughs> There's the best friends. There's another one. Best friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's and there's uh the Deaf Triangle. There's another one. Is that, uh, is, I guess yeah, I guess that counts as a stable. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I don't know, is Moxie and Kingston a stable? I guess it's more of a team. Yeah. But then they seem to be like I think they were teaming at Deaf Triangle recently. So yeah. I, I, maybe they're part of that. Uh and I'm sh- there has to be some we're forgetting. I'm trying to think. There's probably like Doesn't Britt some... Baker Oh, so, yeah, so that's what says Burt Baker in, in something. There, is there any, like, female stables, or is that just, like, the women are the all Burt on Baker. their own? I think it's the Burt Baker thing. I think it's the I think she one. has, like, a sidekick, but... Yeah, maybe know. maybe, maybe overstated. It's just her and her buddy, but I don't know. I don't I don't watch enough AEW to know all these fucking stables, but I think we, we might have named... Most of them, there might be more. I don't know. There might be more. I don't know. <laughs> I, haven't, I like literally There's took like over of... a year off from AEW. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> There's a lot of staples in AEW. I know people say like, "Oh, uh, you shouldn't, you know, you can't critique that." You have WWE brains. Like, eh, I don't like WWE either, but like, maybe ten stables is a little too much. I don't know. Yeah, I feel Seems like they like could consolidate a lot of these because they're basic. A lot of them are basically doing the same gimmick, anyways. Yeah. It's really you know. like you whatever. can have ten stables if all ten stables have like unique identities, but like most of these like don't. They're just like kind of I guess clones of like the inner circle. But like I guess yeah. the inner circle like has Chris Jericho, so it's more prominent. Yeah. You know, whereas the rest of them are just kind of like, who is this? Yeah, you know, and then there's the Dark Order, which is like the only one that seems different. Nice yeah. Death Triangle if they count as a stable too. Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't. I guess, but I don't know. It's a lot of it's a lot of stables. That's <laughs> all you can say. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember how we got on this, so I'm just gonna move on to the next match, which was also in the King of DET second round, and this was a great match. This was. Mao defeating or losing to Konosuke Takashita in thirteen oh eight with the modified chicken wing face lock. Uh, Mao he gave Takashita a Rana into the railing pretty early on. That looked oh, yeah. like a nasty impact for Takashita right around the throat area. Uh, Mao followed it up with a diving knee drop back in the ring, but just got a one count. 
And then Takashita came back with a really nice Topekan Hilo to the floor, uh, wiping out not just uh, Mao, but also their entire stable, since they're both in the uh, Sauna Kamina, and they were all out there with them, and they all got destroyed. So I love the Sauna Kamina entrance song, by the way, with that, like, terrible, cheesy guitar song of, I think, them singing that leads into, like, you know, some generic Japanese rock song. But mm-hmm. it actually sounds like Japanese surf rock, which is perfect for, you know, these uh, these rascals who love saunas. So <laughs> yeah. they're like my, they came out of nowhere to become my second favorite unit in DET after Damnation. Because first of all, they have a they, their new t-shirt, which they were showing off in the, uh, in the earlier undercard match. It's like a perfect, you'll never, like if you could wear this shirt in public and no one would ever know that you're wearing a wrestling shirt, like it just doesn't oh. look anything like wrestling. So. Unlike the only DDT shirt that I own, which is the Endo one with a giant pair of boobies on it. <laughs> you really which... own that shirt? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody, his finisher, one of one of his 500 finishers is Tetsuya in the Sky. So spell that out for you. This is not a, uh, this podcast does not have its head in the gutter, but you can, you should be able to spell that one out yourself. And that's why Endo's shirt has giant boobs on it, which not a shirt I would wear in public, but, uh, you know. I've never worn it. I have it. <laughs> I figure I'll wear it to a DDG show, and that's the only time I'll ever wear it. And <laughs> and when I when I go to a DDG show, I'm going to carry it in my bag and change into it at the <laughs> venue, and then change out before I like leave. <laughs> See, I thought you, I thought you were taking this to a place of like, well, as a lesbian, I'm proud to wear giant <laughs> boob shirt uh, all over the public. But no, you were just like, I am just gonna. Uh, I don't change want, the shirt in the bathroom. It's it's more that like I don't want anyone to, well because the tits on the shirt go right over my actual like boobs and so I don't want people looking there. Uh, <laughs> Unless of course yes I am a proud lesbian of course of course they're a hot girl then you know yeah then, then it's fine. There you go. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yes yeah, so, so the the Topekan Halo wiped out the whole stable. Uh, which has a cool t-shirt, which I guess is how we got on this conversation. Uh, we got a huge no-sell sequence. Uh, Takashita dropped Mao on his head with a German suplex and then killed him with a lariat. But Mao no-sold both of these things and took Takashita out with a huge running palm strike. Very cool looking. He just, like, put this fucking palm right through his face. Uh, very, very cool looking palm strike. That led to a double knockout tease, but they both got back up, and then Takashita killed him. With another lariat, uh, which Mao took an awesome flip bump for. Uh, that got a two count. Now, there was a, fl- a flash pin reversal sequence that doesn't look as good as it could have, to be quite honest. I don't know if it was like, it seemed to me like Mao was a little windied or something, which might be why. Uh, it was just a, a, like a touch slow. It's not like it looked awful or anything, but it just didn't look as cool as it could have. Uh, Mao took a page from his uh, former partner Speedball, Mike Bailey's book, did the 450 knee attack for kneeling Takashita. I forget. Do you remember what, they, what he called that? I forget. No, there's, there's, I don't. Okay. I mean, I don't. I don't understand the commentary, so I don't know what they're calling. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> the DT English update tweeted it out for sure, but I can't remember what it was. Oh wait, was it uh, the one with the really like crude name? Maybe because there's a one attack which had like kind of a crude name that I remember the DDT English uh, account tweeted out. Okay, well, I, I don't remember. That I, maybe up. that was it. What was it? Um, this is I uh, actually I don't have the thread up. I thought I did, okay. but it was actually Tokyo Joshi. All right, it's, it's fine. 
But yeah, so Takashita hits a huge running knee attack uh, to the back of Mao's head while he's sitting down. Oh, that was after Mao missed a regular 450. Uh, and then Mao handstanded to escape the knee attack to the front, which was very cool, and went for his cross-arm driver. Takashita escaped, pull, pulls him up into a crazy head drop uh, for a close near fall before hitting another running knee to the face, but Mao kicked out again. And then Takashita finally gets the chicken wing hold and delivers repeated elbows to the head, sort of Brian Danielson style, uh, to soften Mao up before finally getting it on. And the referee, I think, stops it. I don't know, if, or, or Mao submitted it, I don't know. But yeah, Takashita moves on. That's the important part. And this was really good. I went three and three quarters. Uh, couldn't quite go four stars, mostly due to the slight issue with that flash pin sequence I mentioned and like one or two other times when the match looked a little more awkward than it should have. But I had a lot of fun with this one. Definitely a one of the two best matches on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say the same. Um, one thing I really love is that I think that there's a really kind of unique, I guess, dynamic in this match. In that, like, they're very, very different, but they're also like, you know, good friends. So it's kind of like they're having. I don't know how to put it. I don't know. It's just, like, interesting because, like, Mao is, like, kind of, like, the way he does things is, like, it's very quirky, but, like, in, like, not just, like, in the big things. Like, he just does small, strange things, like, with that handstand or, like, sometimes how he gets out of moves and other people's moves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Takeshi is, like, very straightforward, very powerful. Um, but, you know, I guess because they're both friends there's no like real aggression there they're kind of like almost i don't know how to put it but it's not like it's like they're normally when you see a match between two people who are very different there's like some sort of tension there between Mm. that but instead with them it like there wasn't i guess like it just kind of felt mm, i don't know how to put this it's it's Uh, very friendly yeah, friendly. That's yeah, that's one word I'm looking for. Friendly. Yeah. Somehow friendly, but also like, yeah, I mean, you know, he Mao like ronned him into the guardrail and I did in fact go like ow out loud at that cuz <laughs> I was just like this is the beginning of the match you're already doing that. Yeah, that was that was quite the spot. <laughs> it looked pretty painful. But yeah. So, really good match. But the match of the night was the very first King of DDT uh, second round match, which, in my opinion at least, which was Katsada Higuchi defeating Tetsuya Endo with the Brain Claw Slam in 1150. Uh, so Endo, he missed the prior week shows due to a minor leg injury. So it was good to see him able to return here and wrestle in the tournament. Uh, Higuchi, he was very aggressive early on. Like he was dropping Endo hard on the railing on the outside uh, from like a power slam position. And then he nearly took his head off with a big boot, which Endo took this awesome bump for, this huge bump on the outside. Uh, Endo, though, came back with after escaping a deadlift doctor bomb attempt from Higuchi uh, back in the ring. A very cool looking escape, too. And then he hit a perfect space-flying tiger drop to the outside, as he almost always does, uh, followed by a springboard 450 back in the ring for a two-count. Watching Endo fly around is just so much fun. And it's like, mm-hmm. to me... He's every bit as good of a high flyer. This is my hot take for the episode. Every bit as good of a high flyer, if not 
maybe even better than Mr. Will Ospreay, but without oh, any like, of the other baggage. Uh, Philly and okay, better without, than Will Ospreay. <laughs> but without any of the other baggage that Ospreay has in ring or out of the ring, where like Endo to me is a, Endo's a, almost as good of a high flyer, if not better of a high flyer than Ospreay, but he's also just better at everything else too. Like he, he doesn't sell half his moves. Like, uh, you know, he's overacting in a school play. And, you know, he's very, and, uh, and obviously he doesn't have any of Osprey's other issues. So, you know, yeah. and it was better than Osprey. That's my, that's my hot take, I guess, which apparently yeah. Haley very much agrees with. I would, uh, I like, honestly, I would like go way further than you did, like wow. in terms of how much better <laughs> Endo is than Osprey. Me and uh, one of my, my Twitter buds, we're both very much like on the same page. Um, like even before, people started like largely hating on osprey i guess for being a horrible person she was like i guess uh doing analysis of like their similar moves and like showing how osprey his form is like kind of sloppy whereas endos is of course 100 percent perfect you know like he's he's in general like he gets all the like little details right of how things should look so like his wrestling is, like, one thing I really like about his wrestling is that he can be very, like, I guess, impactful in, like, you know, like, his moves look like they actually hurt. But he's also, like, it's also just very, like, the way he moves is just very, like, beautiful as well. Like, you know, he's got, like, perfect, perfect form, um, you know, in, in everything and just gets, he's just, I don't know, he's perfect. I love him. <laughs> I mean, Endo I to me. My standing moment, you know. <laughs> Endo to me is uh, always the guy who like most proves that nobody watches DDT because like there's no excuse for why this guy is not talked about as one of the best wrestlers in the world because like his his execution and there look if you if you're the kind of person who's like oh moves don't matter or whatever I I want to see. Uh, some more than just execution of moves, fine. But a lot of people, and I know it's really good at lots of other stuff too, to be clear. But like, a lot of people will tell you that all that matters in professional wrestling is how well you execute moves. And I really mean moves with a Z. And fucking Endo does moves better than anybody else in wrestling. I mean, show me a better Space Flying Tiger drop than Endo does at this point. It doesn't exist. So... Yeah, and he's just he's pretty pretty close to perfect at executing moves and stuff. Like he does the exact kind of stuff that like uh, people talk about a lot of other wrestlers for, and like you know he outclasses almost all of them, and he gets you know he gets some he gets plenty of hype when people watch DDT, but there's like a lot of people where I'm like you know I can I know that you should love this man based on your other tastes in wrestling, and you weirdly don't love this man, so you clearly just never watch DDT. Like that's really all it comes down to, I guess, with Endo. I have uh, I have two ideas of why people would, you know, who actually go nuts over guys like Will Ospreay don't care about Endo. I don't know if uh, I should is say that. Is the, is the other one, is one of them because Endo uh, may not be a Caucasian? <laughs> well, yeah, one of them is Endo is like, you know, like a, a, a white British guy who, you know, <laughs> has a quote unquote dynamic character quote unquote uh yeah. but the other one is because i guess people people, uh, <laughs> people very much 
uh, overlook DDT because they, I guess they just see it as like, oh, it's like the goofy stuff and like don't realize that, you know, A, it's like actually really good at goofy stuff, but also B, it's not just goofy stuff. Like it's goofy stuff done by some of the most incredible wrestlers on the planet, you know, and also just straightforward wrestling as well done by. And, and Endo is also the best corpser. In professional wrestling, yes, definitely, yeah. <laughs> Not really in the world, actually. Like when he just starts, he is he is like uniquely ill suited for anything involving DG comedy because he'll just he just breaks out laughing every single fucking time. I'm like he's he's really the the Jimmy Fallon of DDT, I guess. Yeah, uh, and it's like so funny. <laughs> normally, he looks like so dour, and then like yeah. when something funny happens, it's like he, his entire his entire demeanor changes. Sometimes I want to be like, buddy, Antonio Honda. Ev- every single guy on the Fox since the beginning of time, the joke has been a penis, and somehow it always surprises and uh, delights to see Endo like it's the first time he's seeing it. It's like he just cannot get enough. Of a swinging hand replacing a penis, so you know God bless him, I guess. But it makes him crack up every single time. So it's like, okay. Uh, I, I remember, for, like for a while, I was like, they're putting him in these matches just so he can crack up laughing. Uh, back to the match, I guess. So Gucci, he keeps catching Endo in the air, deadlift style. Very impressive looking. It was like happening over and over again. Like every time Endo would try anything, Gucci would just deadlift him up. Uh, Endo escaped the first time, or the fir- maybe the first two times even, uh, before he finally took a huge power slam uh, from Higuchi after that. And then Higuchi runs Endo over with a huge lariat for a two count, just before the 10-minute call. And then Higuchi tries for the blank- brain claw. Uh, Endo escapes, ends up getting him in his strange hold uh, down on the mat. Higuchi, though, is able to use his power advantage to start standing out of it. And then he's sort of like... He starts standing up. He looks like he's going to stand all the way up. Endo gets him back down, but then Higuchi gets all back up to a kneeling position, and from there he's able to apply the dreaded brain, brain claw. Uh, he hits a brain claw... Brain, I don't know why I can't say brain claw. I'm sorry. Hits a brain claw slam on Endo, uh, but he can't cover. Uh, instead, you know, he like backs up into the corner. He then hits a huge sumo charge, uh, really just runs Endo over. But then when he tries for the Dr. Bomb, Endo runs him out of there. That was awesome. They trade flash pins back and forth. Neither guy can get the pin. But then Higuchi just kills him with another sumo charge, basically just hitting him with two palm strikes right in the face. Maybe that's the one I was thinking of where he killed him, actually. Uh, but yeah, he definitely killed him with a sumo charge, one of these two. Uh, Higuchi then picks Endo up in the brain claw and delivers the spitting claw slam this time. And that's finally the pin. I mean, this was only, you know, I say finally, it was like 11 minutes. But this was an awesome sprint. Uh, they never, they started going and just never stopped. Uh, easy four stars flat for me. Definitely match of the night. And I figured Higuchi was winning here, just given how much Endo had his number in their series last year. I think he went like three and one against him. Uh, but yeah, but you know, Higuchi gets one win back here and it moves on to the semifinals. Um, I mean, like, for me, was the, the ending that I was of, like, two minds. One where, like, you know, like, Endo is my favorite. So I'm like, no, I don't want to see him lose. <laughs> I want to watch more singles matches with him. But at the same time, I'm like, Higuchi, he was so amazing in this match. And just, like, I think him winning was, like, the right thing to go with. But I'm also like, you know, Endo stan. But 
I was just the part where he kept catching Endo. I just like I had like my jaw was dropping. I thought that was just the coolest part of the match for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was there was just so much cool shit in this match in general. And like, you know, the only thing with Haguchi that I guess annoys me a little bit with him is like he speaking. We were talking about Will Osprey earlier. He has a penchant to like Osprey make some very goofy faces in the ring, especially when he's having to sell just like Osprey, where Osprey makes these incredibly unconvincing faces when he's selling, where I don't think Higuchi's quite Osprey bad at that, but he's still pretty bad at that. Uh, and he was doing a little bit earlier on in this match, but like if he could get that out of his game and be like better at selling and better at like, you know, the facial expressions, I think it would be a lot better, but he's still good. I mean, I still really like, I still like him. It's not like I uh, think he's bad or anything. But, yeah, I'm going to be honest. Just, the, the, they, face- the two of them, him and Endo, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, let me be honest, the facial expressions don't don't bother me as much for him because unlike Osprey, he's, like, handsome. (laughs) Osprey makes, like, the goofy faces. His face is all red and sweaty. And I'm like, like, this is, like, the worst thing I've seen. Where he's like, Higuchi, I guess I don't notice as much because I'm I'm too busy going, oh, what a a handsome guy. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it's still a problem though. You shouldn't than, uh, do it, but it's not. It's it doesn't bother me as much. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, but you know, I mean, him and Endo, I was about to say, have tremendous chemistry. So yeah, yeah. You know, definitely, I can watch those two wrestle each other uh, all day long. Definitely. Uh, so that's your King of DT matches. So. At the end of the main event, they did the drawing with the little plastic balls, which I love the plastic ball drawings. Uh, when everybody comes out, it's like, well, time to draw the balls to, <laughs> to name the, uh, the pairings. So the, the semifinal pairings we got here were uh, pretty simple. We got, God, what did I put? Oh, yeah, Takashita got a blue ball after Sasaki did. Sasaki tried to hide his own blue ball. I guess he doesn't want to face Takashita. But they are facing each other. Now that's one semifinal. And that, of course, means the big boy battle is the other one, Yuji Hino and Katsada Higuchi. So that will happen July 4th, uh, the King of DET semifinals and finals. So the two winners will then face each other in the final. So a little under two weeks away. So finally, something worth being excited for on July 4th. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the uh, Our independence from... I don't know. There's no, no, no independence button you can make. Independence uh, of nothing. <laughs> are you like a, you're not a July 4th person, are you? Like as far as going Absolutely out and not. Uh, no. barbecuing no. and all that? I, okay. No. I, I kind of assumed, but. I don't celebrate America. <laughs> and also the fireworks bother my dog, which is just, you know, I don't like it when she's running around the <laughs> oh, house. She's barking. Your dog would fucking hate my apartment because basically I, so the, the part of the Bronx I live in and Throg Snack, they fucking love fireworks here more than anything. Like last summer when everybody was complaining about how many people were setting off fireworks in New York city, I was like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's normal summer for me. They set off fireworks every goddamn weekend here, you know, for like three years straight or longer than that. Like every year since I've gotten here, honestly, like, you know, six, seven years ago. Oh yeah, uh, I have I have so, neighbors yeah. like that who are constantly yeah. setting off fireworks, and I'm like, I don't, 
know where they get them because I'm pretty sure it's like illegal for them to have them in New Jersey. Um, Somebody sells them. It's fine, I guess. Yeah. Which is, I know, I I mean, like, obviously I'm not unaware of, you know, it's not like I've never legally gotten anything in New Jersey, but uh, (laughs) not, not things that would bother other people and like be very obvious. Yeah. You know, well, the cops here, the cops here don't give a shit about fireworks, which is fine, I guess, but they don't really want them harassing, harassing minority people over their fireworks. But, um, they have lots of fireworks here. So 4th of July is, it's a fucking five day event here. And you know, it no. goes on. it's like every night before, like three nights before and two and, and a night after. So, you know, there is a, there's gonna, so much fucking fireworks here. So if anyone really, really wants to see fireworks, uh, 4th of July weekend, I can't say I really care that much, but they're plentiful here. So come to Throg's Neck and you will see, Nonstop fireworks for like five straight days. They don't. I. I don't have any pets. It doesn't really. And it doesn't really bother me. But it's just like, uh, there it is again. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. It's one yeah. of these things where it's like, how can you still think it's like special or spectacular when you have them every day? It's like, yeah, they're the sky's a light again. Like, what am I? What am I supposed to say? You know, if you see anything enough times, it becomes pretty boring. So, uh, fireworks. <laughs> But yes, the real fireworks will be the King of the ET semifinal. There we go. Oh. Finally, finally did a pun that worked. Uh, the real fireworks, King of DDT semifinals on July 4th, which we will cover on this very show. I think that's a free episode. Yeah, we'll cover that uh, back here in two weeks on a free omakase. So there you go. Uh, before we get into the undercard matches uh, for the King of DET show very quickly and then Tokyo Joshi, I just need to let you know that support for Wrestling Omakase is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, they're the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped is precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over the technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Uh, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners, 20% off and free shipping with the code OMAKASE at manscaped.com. So again, 20% off and free shipping with the code OMAKASE at manscaped.com. So you can get that 20% off and that free shipping with the code OMAKASE at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Okay. So uh, we had a an Iron Man heavy, heavy metal weight title thing, but I feel like I have to talk about that with the Battle Royal, so I'll skip that for now. I'll go to the three-way tag team match, uh, which was Akito and Naomi Yoshimura defeating Yuki Ueno and Shuma Katsumata and Soma Takao and Nobuhiro Shimatani when Akito submitted Shimatani with the figure four leg lock in 821. Uh, I thought this was like, you know, really high speed, really high action three-way tag, something always going on, pretty fun stuff. I thought this was uh, better better than normal, maybe, for these undercard three-way tags. And, you know, Shimatani seemed like he had Akito in trouble, but Akito, you know, suddenly kind of got the figure four on out of nowhere to get the win. I went three and a half on this. I thought this was pretty fun. Yeah, no, same. I definitely uh, thought it was real. I really enjoy. Uh, I feel like DDT partic- and also Tokyo Joshi uh, do particularly well to get these like 
do well at these like three way matches because it always feels like something's going on. It always feels very like you know, there's some some sometimes like with three way matches, like I guess some companies, uh, basically every other company that I've seen always has some moment where like all three guys are like laid out and like, ugh, we need to take a break. And I'm like, no, you don't. This is a three-way match there can always be something going on and yeah you know ddt actually really does that there's always a lot of action going on always very fast paced yeah. um and i mean all the guys in this match are guys i really like so and they don't lean they don't always lean into the cliche too which wwe does this a lot too and i think aw does too honestly where like one guy gets thrown out of the ring and the other two guys fight and then another guy gets thrown out of the ring and the other two guys fight it's like they they don't always they do more actual like three-way wrestling which is cool like if you're gonna do the format use the fucking format don't just be like okay you toss out then i toss out then you toss out it's like okay Oh god, yeah, uh, no, I hate that. <laughs> it's just it just feels uh, like they're doing like three different matches at once instead yeah. of doing one match with three people. Exactly. Or like I guess in this case six people. Indeed. Three teams. I forgot to ma- mention the announcements between matches three and four. So DDT is doing their first like big ish shows outside of Tokyo in a while. Uh they're doing in September the Dramatic Survivor 2021 on September 4th. Uh, that's at the Nagoya Congress Center Event Hall, and that features a unit versus unit one day tournament, which could be cool. Have to mm-hmm. wait and see what that tournament looks like. And then September twelfth, eight days later, they're going all the way out to Fukuoka, which I don't. They really don't go out there that often uh, for Tenjin Wars twenty twenty one at the Nishi Tetsu Hall. So uh, that should be fun as well. That's uh, the and the other big announcement was Yoshiaki Yatsu coming out. He'll be challenging for the KOD eight-man tag titles on the July 4th Corrigan. Uh, that's, of course, the same show with the King of DDT semifinals and finals. Uh, his partners, so so Yatsu, if people don't know him, he's been around a while. He, uh, you know, was a former Olympian, and, you know, he made a big comeback, you know, pretty recently, uh, you know, after you know, after like, I think after having his, yeah, having his right leg, couldn't remember his right or left, or left, had to look it up. His right leg was amputated and he returned to the ring as part of the 15 person gauntlet battle royal match at the uh, cyber fight festival. So, you know, obviously that's, you know, very impressive. And he's teaming up here with Hiroshi Yamato and Akito, who both like Yatsu have amateur backgrounds. Now the idea here is an, Olymp- is an Olympic theme. Yatsu was an actual Olympian, Yamato placed third in the Junior Olympic Cup, which is like a big tournament Japan has in amateur wrestling, and Akito placed second. So they're like, okay, well, we need a fourth partner. And then Keigo Nakamura, who they had announced at the start of the show, uh, was going to return on the July 4th Corican, uh, tried to volunteer for the fourth member of the team. Now, he points out he also had an amateur wrestling background, and he also competed in the Junior Olympic Cup. Imabayashi is like, did you place? And Nakamura very... Uh, Sheepishly is like, actually, I lost in the first round. Which was like, <laughs> so do bad for him. Uh, Imabayashi seemed very unimpressed by this, but Yatsu, Yatsu at least was like, well, you compete at least. So there you go. Nakamura is the fourth, uh, the fourth member of the team. So uh, the Olympic theme, obviously, with the Olympics coming up, which you know remains very controversial in Japan. Let's just say, yeah, uh, not not exactly a. Uh, a fun time. I mean, you know, the Olympics always have a certain amount of like, you know, uh, 
don't know what the word is, you know, a cloud around them, I guess, but it's a bigger cloud than usual because of the the fact the pandemic is still going, especially in Japan, and lots of Japanese people do not want them there this year, but they're they're coming anyway because they don't care what you think, apparently, so. Yeah, and there's also, there was a, I don't know if you know about this, there's a was a big controversy over the the opening ceremony. Oh, yeah. Uh, where the re- person who was originally originally directing it and was working on it for years is this really, I guess, famous choreographer. She does the choreography for both perfume and baby metal. And her and her team were, like, working on it. And then, like, kind of only a few months ago, the, like, Tokyo Olympics Committee um, kicked her and her people out and replaced them with, like, an ad agency to... <laughs> <laughs> which is uh pretty ridiculous um yeah. i one of the main reasons i was looking forward to the tokyo olympics originally was because i'm a big fan of hers and mm-hmm. i wanted to see what she was gonna do and now i'm like with the pandemic going on <laughs> and this big controversy i'm like honestly like what are what's the point of doing this japanese <laughs> people don't want it yeah. you know they've already behind the scenes stuff is for the opening ceremony is all you know shrouded in a lot of negativity you know so the we like you can't even enjoy that yeah you know well, that sucks i did not even know about that story i love perfume yeah. a baby yeah. metal, I'm, you know i'm really i don't baby metal, i wouldn't say i love i've heard a little bit of them but but perfume is awesome yeah perfume's like my favorite music group period yeah. I've like seen them four times live. So oh wow! I've never I'm seen like, them live. Really obsessed with them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's what was it saying? Oh yeah, so that's July fourth. That's the KOD eight man tag title match. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, 
and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, match two. Okay, ready for this title? Oh, I should note, too, with the translations, uh, at DDT Pro underscore ENG, as, as always, the DDT English Update, they do an amazing job. Or, or he does an amazing job. It's one person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> match, I mean, I use they Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's he. Uh, <laughs> just like the person who just say them was just like, they have to be singular. Uh, kind of funny. Yeah. Match number two, which was the Steak, <laughs> Steak Kui Yagule presents Yusuke Okada DDT Pro Wrestling Affiliation Commemoration Playfulness Series Act 3. Okay. Uh, Dino defeated... Uh, Yusuke Okada with the Gado Clutch in 641 with the special special witness. Oh boy, was he ever a special witness! Uh, Kiyoshi Yama- Hayashi Shida. Now, of course, if that name stands out to you, Kiyoshi is indeed Utami's father. Uh, Whoa, Utami is really? The, the star from. Oh, you didn't know that? No. <laughs> okay. <That's amazing. laughs> so Kiyoshi. I was, I was thinking it was funny that, that he had a name of like a wrestler. I didn't know that. He's actually her dad. Wow. Okay, so Kiyoshi, <laughs> uh, he is the titular Big Daddy from the Big Daddy reality TV show, which Utami also was on. I guess I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's a big thing in Japan. This, this show, people love this show. I don't uh, know. I don't know about the show either. Yeah, I don't know so all this stuff about him. I just yeah. thought, oh, he's a guy who owns a restaurant. <laughs> no, no, no. The restaurant owner came out at the end. I think that was a. Uh, that was the restaurant owner. He like raised her hand or something. So okay. Yeah. So yeah. what's his his uh? He's the the chef at the restaurant. I don't know. Kiyoshi is. I don't think Kiyoshi connected to the restaurant. I think he's just. I think he's just Big Daddy. Okay. Yeah, I, think he's just, I could be wrong. Maybe he is the fucking chef or the owner or something. I, I don't think know he, because because the, the, the I was like wonder, I thought that was must be the connection with the restaurant. This is the re- so what does the restaurant have to do with it? Well, the restaurant was the sponsor of the match, and the guy came out the end. I think. Okay. I think that guy, the guy who was out there at the very end was the restaurant guy. But yeah, I I do not know whether or not Kiyoshi has a uh, connection to this restaurant or not. But all I know is he is indeed Big Daddy. Adam Sandler, eat your heart out. Uh, <laughs> via the DDT English update. So, uh, or I should say, via the DDT English update. Dito and Hayashishida, they fought in a match before, apparently. Who the fuck knew this? I had no idea. And they still have beef. So, Dino apparently... Oh, okay, so there's his restaurant. He assaulted his restaurant before the match, and its ownership may or may not be on the line. So, you, I, I apologize on the air hit to Haley. She was right and I was wrong. Okay, yeah, because I, I was pretty sure. Yeah, because I I was I always have 
the the thread the the DT yeah. like English pro DT pro ENG thread up while I watch the match. So I so besides being uh, a reality TV star and the father of a stardom champion, he is also a proud restauranteur, I guess. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> I mean, being we both Tommy's something. dad is enough of a reason <laughs> to like, you know, be famous. I feel like, yeah. Uh, Dino. So yeah, anyway, so D- the the ownership may or may not be. The Dino might own this restaurant now. Because I just realized something. If <laughs> if if Dino wrestled Utami's dad, does that make Utami a, a second generation wrestler? <laughs> I guess it does. I guess you just we just cracked the code, Utami. That's why she's good. She's a second generation wrestler. Uh, so Dino at one point in this match busted out a very high speed version of the Donshuku Nightmare. He did the little squatting pose a single time before he just kind of dropped his ass right on poor Okada's face. Uh, the, uh, uh, you know the the big rite of passage for entering DDTs has <laughs> Donshuku Dino sit on your face indeed uh but this was like a high speed version it was like even worse than than i think the usual version uh yeah. the ref gets bumped at one point uh big daddy runs in he spears dino but dino recovers and tries to give him a don shoku driver had his head under there and everything but okada saved him he tried for a running kiss attack on dino but dino dodged it and okada had a long passionate kicks kiss with uh utami hashishita's father so uh, Dino then rolled him up with the Gado clutch for the pen. Uh, typical Dino match, I guess, but with a reality television star involved. That was fine for what it was. If you can't stand Dino matches, this one definitely won't change your mind. Yeah. Um, the the part where he dodged the kiss and uh, Tommy's dad and uh, Okada kiss, there's a similar uh, moment in a match where Dino was fighting uh, the Golden Lovers in the very early time when they started tagging, where they had a very he he tricked Coda and Kenny into having a very passionate kiss, <laughs> and of course that that led into the whole you know the Golden Lovers. Of course, then from there became this big like you know romantic drama story from <laughs> from there i guess so now i guess yusuke okada and utami's dad are going to become you know star-crossed lover <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um you know can't can't wait for that that <laughs> grand romance uh kenny uh they can they can tweet cryptic shit at each other back and forth. <laughs> oh yes. Can I go to do now? Can anyone uh, can anyone though no one will be as great as a of a cryptic tweeter as Ibushi is because apparently um Ibushi the way he speaks Japanese in general, like the way he writes in general for like everything is apparently very strange and hard to translate. Yeah, because he's like nobody understands what the hell he's talking about <laughs> about anything. And then when he starts talking about Kenny, it's like that, but times like a billion because he's actually trying to be confusing at that point. <laughs> that 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 is horrifying. Kota Ibushi trying to be confusing. 
It's like very. It's comes- like. <laughs> it's like the, already it's like who knows what he's saying and then like when he's purposely trying to be vague it's like really like what the fuck are you talking about it's like a black hole being like you know what i'm gonna try to do today suck some stars in <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna suck some stuff in yeah anyways uh, this is this is part of why kota Ibushi is of course the person i love most in this world yeah <laughs> he's just it just doesn't make any sense and i'm like you know what same i aspire Uh, to this level of confusing (laughs) the post-match translation again via dg pro underscore ing so kata says uh quote daddy sorry i sucked i'll try my best to reach the top as a wrestler in here in det uh tommy's dad comes back with okada sometimes you win sometimes you lose it was too bad today but there was one thing you're not a bad kisser so there you go. That's what Utami's dad had to say. Uh, the opening contest was the Iron Man Heavy Metal Weight Battle Royale. So the, the big thing here wait, was I don't want to wait. Before we have them, I have to mention, of course. Then as I left the ring, Tommy's dad started chasing him. I guess he <laughs> to wanted kiss him another kiss. <laughs> he wanted more kisses. So no, this is the this is the big start of their love story. I yeah, guess. it started. Um, so the Iron Man Heavy Metal Weight title battle royal. The big thing here was uh, Mad Polly had some drinks backstage. And, you know, he he left these drinks backstage. Uh, for, and people kept walking by them one by one. Uh, Yukio Sakaguchi picked one up without drinking it. He just took it with him. And then uh, finally Antonio Honda picks one up and drinks it. And he becomes Mad Anton. So he is now a Pauly. And then, you know, he he and, uh, you know, he and Pauly were, uh, you know, <laughs> they beaten up with, teaming up with Gone the Foxes and everyone but Hirata. Uh, and Hirata helped them out. He threw out everybody they gonned in the face to eliminate them. And they end up both eliminated, leaving Hirata the apparent winner. But then out comes Mad Sakaguchi. He gets in the ring uh, and, you know, Matt, he just gets awarded the win of the match because I guess actually Hirata got eliminated too. Yeah, but they, all, they Hir- all fell out at the same time. Yeah, but Hirata still is a champion because he, he had pinned uh, Yuya Aoki uh, earlier on. He Basically, Hirata accidentally pinned okay. Aoki while passed out in a triangle with assistance from Brooks and Oishi to win the belt. So since he got yeah. only over the top rope, he did not lose the title. Saki Akai at one point did this crazy lucha arm drag to Chris Brooks. It was so good. I know. It was like, she, she is so good at wrestling. I love uh, her. <laughs> but yes, I mean, we're going to get to how good she is in a second. But yes, uh, so Hirata survives as champion. The Paulies chased him around. And later on in the night, uh, they would chase him back in the ring during Ima Bayashi's announcements. Uh, they all ended up colliding, though, when they tried to triple-team him with uh, wind-up punches. But then, uh, you know, and then they hear to actually get a, a really funny, like, very subtle joke where he starts to thank the fans. And he says, I was able to become Iron Man champ today thanks to your cheers. Which is, of course, pretty funny because they can't fucking cheer. <laughs> they can only clap. So that was actually pretty funny. But then he was choked out from behind by Mad Shinya, the final Mad Polly, who won his Iron Man title back. So he still is Iron Man champion ending the show here. 
But uh, yeah, so it was. Uh, Inuyashi then did the rest of his announcements with uh, Hiroto dead in the middle of the ring, which is like the first <laughs> time he's done that. So yeah, overall, I thought this was a perfectly fine DT Corrigan, not one that's going to go down the annals of DT Corrigans or anything for me. But like, there was some funny stuff on the undercard, uh, some really good matches with the three way tag and the first two King of the uh, King of DT uh, second round matches. But a disappointed main event, so you know that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah. Let's go. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say I hope I hope the thing with the the polys continues for a little bit. I hope they're there the the it doesn't just like oh when they you know pee it all comes out all the drinks <laughs> and they're no longer poly. I really because it was so funny. Peeing out the poly. Yeah, <laughs> I think the funniest thing for me is when they. Is, is when they had, I guess, Sakaguchi as as Polly, um, when they interviewed him and they put the mic to him and he just very suddenly went, "Po," and it was like <laughs> something about Sakaguchi, like just going along with these really goofy things, is always funny for me. This, this one I think was particularly great. Po, po, po. Uh. Yeah, so that's a D&D show. Let us get to the Tokyo Joshi show uh, pretty quickly. So the main event here, the princess tag team titles, Saki-sama and May St. Michael. Is it St. Michael or St. I don't know. I think it's St. Michael. Michelle, right? I think. Oh, St. Michelle. Okay. I uh, no Saki-sama. Clue. Yeah. I could have sworn it was. I thought it was Michelle, but then I feel like they always say Michael. But either way. Saki-sama and May uh, St. Well, Michelle. I mean, slash. Uh, Huh? Did you watch with Japanese or English commentary? I watched Japanese. Okay, I watched the English commentary, and they were saying Saint Michel. So maybe, I guess maybe I don't know. Be, maybe they think they know what the French is supposed to sound like, and the Japanese announcers do not. But either way, the point is no. that's her name. That's a uh, that's of course uh, God. What now? Now I'm blanking on her actual name from oh, from uh, Misuruga. May Suruga, thank you. Or else she her. resembles May Suruga. Maybe, she resembles. You know, she's not, you know, yeah. she's not she's obviously not really May Suruga. Yeah, but uh, obviously from the from the uh, Choco Pro, which is, yeah, you know, I, I saw her win a uh, win that belt from Riho, whatever it's called, like the Super Asia Singles Title or something. When when Riho is, I get, I guess, getting ready to go to America, I saw her win that belt uh, from her. In, at Shinjuku face in an awesome match. So, you know, she's someone I always I always knew was uh, you know, really good. But Yeah, she's, she's I was really happy when she first showed up in DDT, I guess like as herself. And then when she Timosaki Sama was like really excited because I want more people to know about her. She's just so yeah. good and I, I should really say Scato the promotion's got, got to, to move. move. Yeah. Choco Pro is like the show. show. Yeah. Uh but yeah, they, so Saki-sama and May, whatever her last name is, defeated Miyu Yamashita and Maki Ito by TKO when Saki-sama used the Versailles foot choke on Yamashita in 1909, the second defense for Neo Bishiki-gun. God, this match was so awesome. This match was uh, easily the best match on either show. Um, so this starts out with May coming out with her tag belt on a serving plate, which was just adorable. Just the most adorable thing. And uh, at one point, Saki nearly escapes the Maki Ito, cutest in the world deal, only for her to get pulled back by her hair. And Maki Ito is like pulling her back 
and basically extending the kawaii while she's, she's like, kawaii, like, get back here. It was just really fucking funny. And then May distracts Saki, though, uh, or sorry, she distracts Maki uh, just by formally bowing on the apron. I thought was funny. It's like, why are you so distracted by this girl formally bowing? I don't doesn't really uh, make a lot of sense. I guess that. maybe some sort of like, some sort of Japanese, I guess, thing. <laughs> courtesy thing maybe i guess I so know. but of all people the girl who loves to flip people off is the one who has to show the courtesy but yes <laughs> that lets that lets may and saki cut maki you know off finally uh maki though no sells a drop kick from may after she tags in uh and just bounces off the ropes right into her signature headbutt that was a pretty neat little spot and mm-hmm. that lets maki t- tag out to miyu who just kicks the crap out of may uh, before Saki cuts her off, though, with her own kick from the apron, her own big kick. Uh, May drops the surfing plate from the apron onto Miyu uh, during the ringside brawl portion. That was, again, so cute. Just like, eh, <laughs> like just dropped it from there. Okay. Uh, uh, one thing I have to say, during so an English commentary, Chris Brooks, who's like one of the, the people doing it, he, what does he call her when she dropped the tray? He called her a wretched demon, and he was calling her like <laughs> the most. He was he, he was really you know disgusted by her behavior the entire time, and she's just there being like the cutest thing, and it's like so <laughs> funny how much he despises everything she does while she's of course like you know smiling and everything is just adorable with her. So that was funny. <laughs> I guess it's because he's supposed to be in the bag for Maki Ito, right? Since they're the yeah. Neo Ito Respect Army. But uh, we got a lot of hair pulling from both May and Maki. And then came a truly inventive spot. So May, Irish whips Maki into the ropes, uh, but then sets up the serving plate of death behind her. So when she drops down, uh, Maki leaps over her and lands on the plate and slips and falls. That was so fucking great. Was, it was like perfectly timed, perfectly executed. And you you never expected that. It's like she used the plate like a fucking banana peel in Mario Kart, and it totally worked. Like it was not. It didn't come. It didn't come off as a total comedy spot that was completely goofy. It came off like, oh, she tripped and fell. You know. Yeah, and I mean, it didn't come <laughs> off like sometimes like spots like that can come off as like too like set up and contrived. But like no, this was like completely natural. It's just like oh yeah. She did so she did There's so a tray fast. right there. Like yeah. I didn't even like notice the train until she. <laughs> She slipped on it. Yeah. So it was perfect. Uh, May tries to hit Maki in the head with the serving plate. It made a really loud sound. Like a really loud sound. Uh, But Maki and her hard head still no-sold it. Uh, She grabbed the plate, hit herself in the head with it repeatedly while screaming, and then head-butted May. Uh, She picks up the plate and finally uses it for a plate-assisted Kokeshi before tagging out to Miyu. Uh, May actually manages to fight Miyu off on her own so she can make the tag to Saki-sama finally. And then Saki is really excited to grab Miyu by the wrist and kick her in the face repeatedly and completely no-sell the body punches that uh, Miyu tries to fight back with. And I've always tried to... Like, okay. For people... I've tried to to make this point before, but for people who've only watched DDT and never watched Tokyo Joshi, so they've only seen Saki Kai and they've never seen Saki-sama, well, I mean, they're two, they're two different people, of okay. course. Of course. But, like, what Saki-sama does so well is she she puts this aura around her to the point where, like, you completely buy 
that this uh, French woman, or whatever, you know, you know, a French woman, quote unquote, is completely indestructible. Like she just pulls off video game style or like anime style, like completely invulnerable mega boss, you know, mega villain uh, in a way that few people can pull it off. She reminds me, honestly, of a wrestler from all the way back in the day in Joshi that I've always uh, tried to promote, which is the bloody because that she had that same thing going where like, they were not, they're both not monster heels in the classical physical and physically imposing sense. They just had this aura. They presented this aura. They completely no sold everything, you know, where like basic blows to them. They completely like, uh, shrugged off. You, 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 you'd be like, you have to really like drop this person on their head or really kick the shit out of them to do any damage. And it totally makes sense while you're watching the match. And again, it's one thing for Aja Kong to pull that off, but for a, you know, I mean, Saki-sama has the the, uh, the added bonus of being taller than everybody, but I mean, you know, she's 5'9". I mean, so I mean, she's a giant compared to some of the Tokyo Joshi people. It's not like she's, you know, uh, seven feet tall or anything. But like, you know, they both had that aura where like they can they can no sell anything, and it can make sense in the match. And they, you know, they go in there, and you can structure a match around how you know they're like Miyu Yamashita, who usually kicks everybody's ass, and she's the ace of the company, obviously, can hit these body punches, and Saki Sama can just stand there like. Are you hitting me? I don't feel anything. And it makes complete sense in the context of the match. And that's, I think, harder to pull off than people might give it credit for because it can very easily look completely corny or stupid that you're just pretending that a punch to the gut doesn't hurt at all. Like, not anybody can pull that off. And she pulls that off with her aura and just, you know, the, the way she carries herself in the ring. And it's completely different, again, because they're two different people. Uh, but it's completely different from the way Saki Akai carries herself in the ring, which is like, you know, the she's happy to be there. She's, uh, you know, she does a nice cross body and she tries her best. Saki Sam is just like, I am unbeatable. And this is a very, the fact that she's able to pull off both of these characters in two different promotions and make them work. And I, I honestly think she's even better at Saki Sama. Then she has a Saki Akai, not to take anything away from Saki Akai. But the fact that she's able to pull it off to the degree that she has these two very different characters honestly says that people got to give her more credit that uh, they're probably willing to give her. So, and Saki-sama is incredible. I completely agree with everything you just said. And I think that was such a great explanation of why she's like so why the character works so well like i never even really thought about it like that before but i'm like you know what it's like i think the fact that like i never really thought about it before and i just like bought into it and never really like questioned it i think is part of why she's so good you know why that works so well yeah i mean it's just uh you know it's it's incredible honestly and she she really is like an incredible wrestler in a lot of different ways. I know some people roll their eyes at that, but she is like what she's trying to do at Saki's album, especially. I mean, she really can't do it any better. And this match was awesome in large part. I mean, in large part because of her. And, you know, I mean, May was, May was awesome too. And Miyu and Maki were great. But like, you know, that aura that, aura that Saki Sama has, it, I mean, in a lot of ways, it, it, it helped carry the company. 
you know, especially when there were there were less good wrestlers than there are now. And, you know, she's she's always been like a constant in the company. She, you know, she leaves and comes back and leaves and comes back. But like, you know, she's always been one of the most interesting things in the company. And it is she's just a great, a great monster heel, a great top villain uh, in a company that doesn't have a lot of villains. So, yeah, like she definitely has that like flamboyant, like anime villain kind of feel to her. Yeah. I mean, like, her entire, like, image is kind of based off of, like, 70s shoujo manga, like, Rose of Versailles. Um, but, like, she takes that even, like, further to even, like, more modern kind of, like, idea of, like, this, like, crazy indestructible villain, like, who, you know, from, like, an anime or something, who's just, like, like, I think, mm, like, you know, like, you always see that in anime where, like, there's this, like, one villain who's just so over the top and like you think like oh this guy's this girl is like a joke because like they're they look silly but they're of course they're like actually just <laughs> you know like like you know like hisoka or something but like not creepy like hisoka <laughs> uh but yes so the the Mio and saki show down here really does feel like the two biggest stars in this company squaring off because it is and they end up standing and exchanging middle kicks. Some of them were quite hard. And then Miyu finally comes back with a high kick out of nowhere, followed by the Sankaku Gary to the face. Uh, Miku, or, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, Maki, I don't know why I put down Miku. I would, Hachi Miku is not involved in the match. Uh, Maki charges in to take out Mei, while Miyu hits the attitude adjustment, but Mei still manages to dive in and make the save. Uh, Miyu misses another skull kick and just gets hit in the face by Saki, and she starts throwing these slaps from both sides. Uh, Miyu cuts her off with the knee and the gut, only to run right into a big boot from Saki. Uh, and then Saki gets her triangle, keeps it on even as Miyu tries to lift her out of it. Uh, Maki finally comes flying off the top with her flying big head headbutt to break it up. Miyu goes for Crash Rabbit Heat. Saki dodges, but then immediately gets hit with a kick to the face anyway. Miyu goes for the Crash Rabbit Heat again, but Mei runs in and cuts her off. And then hits the Saki-assisted Shurinai. Uh, Saki hits a high kick and gets the triangle back on. And Miyu passes out. So Saki-sama has beaten the Princess of Princess champion. Uh, and that... Yeah, this was just... We'll get to what that means in a second. But this was awesome. A good start and an excellent stretch run. Easy four and a quarter stars. Match of the night for sure. Uh, this is a match to go out of your way to see, along with the... Uh, Endo Higuchi from the King of DAT. This was just so fucking good. Uh, just an, like I said, outstanding match. Um, I definitely agree. It was definitely my favorite match of the show as well. Um, I just think the entire like team of like Maki and Mew is really interesting in general because first of all, because I guess like they've they're kind of rivals, but they're also, I guess, teaming with each other now. It's kind of an interesting development over time. But also because they're both like, you know, they're like both like idiots. And of Sakisama, <laughs> it makes, you know, Sakisama is very, very much someone who's uh, not an idiot at all. Yeah. Um, also, I one thing I, moment, it's just like a small moment that I found like really funny is there's a part where she's pulling one of like Maki's pigtails. And that was like the most like 
you know, like dramatic, graceful pose while she's doing it. And it's just like, to me, that moment is just like so very like, uh, almost like JoJo's-ish because it's mm. like, you know, the crazy posing while fighting type idea. But in a totally, you know, not that kind of pose, but, yeah, you know, the same idea. Um, I just think it's like the entire match manages to be like, have like moments that are like kind of like, you know, like funny in like a clever way, but also like just straight up like great wrestling, you know, like I think not enough people talk about how great Mew is. Oh, I yeah. feel like because she's not enough people low key, watch... low key wrestler that you're candidate to me. Yeah, like she's honestly, in my opinion, like possibly the best wrestler in the world. Like I think she's just every time she's in the ring, it's just she's incredible like i just sit up and like absorb myself in what she's doing i mean she has Um, that ace energy you know that real ace of a promotion energy in a way that like very few people have in wrestling at this point yeah like she doesn't feel like she was just like placed there it really feels like she's meant to be there yeah you know and then of course every time she kicks someone it's like i feel it (laughs) you know she she kicks people so hard and like she's just so good at it and she's so she's great and i think i think people should talk about her more and i think people should in general just talk about tokyo joshi more but like particularly i want more people to see her wrestle she's just so great yeah so the big news out of post match is of course so saki sama for people don't know she has always said that she does not really want the Princess of Princess title because, I don't know, her basic thing is like, I don't need that belt. I'm Saki-sama. That's enough for me. And it's in the way pretty... of her just going to France whenever she wants. <laughs> and it's pretty much, it's not really a big, there's not really a big explanation, I guess. It's just kind of, she kind of doesn't want it. And I guess it's the idea is because they didn't want her to have it. And they also didn't want her to, to you know, lose. And, you know, she's, she, barely, she almost never loses. I mean, Miu has never beaten her. Uh, and we just said how she's the ace. She's never beaten Saki Sama in a singles match, and she's never even scored a direct fall over her in a tag match. So that should tell you how few direct falls Saki Sama takes. Um, but she decided that she is going to take the belt just to make Miyamashita more upset. So <laughs> that is just a very funny explanation for why she's going to challenge. Um, so the match is happening. I couldn't believe this when I when people because I was like, "Wow, this match is awesome!" and I can't wait to see this this title match wherever it happens. And people are like, "John, it's happening June twenty sixth at Rio Goku KFC Hall." I'm like, "What the fuck?" I mean, first of all, they're only coming back with that two weeks later. Second of all, in a tiny building like that, it's very bizarre. So it makes me think something's going to happen, either some kind of non finish or some kind of a, uh, you know, I don't know if the match will take place or what, but like. It just seems like way too small of a venue and way way too little hype for probably the biggest singles match Tokyo Joshi can run. So I'll have to wait and see. But that's this Saturday on the 26th of June. So definitely excited for it. But like I said, cautiously excited because I think something's going to happen. Yes. Guess what we'll to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, the semi-main event was for the International Princess title. Uh, Hikari Noah defeated Marika Kobashi with the blizzard suplex in 11-13, her first defense of the title. Uh, Marika hit a pretty sloppy leg drop off the second turnbuckle at one point, but when she went to follow up, 
Hikari Noah came back with a nice exploder suplex out of nowhere uh, that did leave both girls down. And then Hikari came back later, or she survived the Shining Wizard from Kobashi, and then it came back with her Blizzard suplex hold out of nowhere for the pin. First of all, I love that Hikari uh, keeps the Blizzard suplex alive since obviously Takashi Yazuka is not doing it. Well, he wasn't doing it for years before he retired anyway when he went all wild, man, but that was his big move in the 90s. Uh, I thought this was pretty good, but not much more than that. The match, like, to me, sort of lacked flow. Uh, and I also didn't really buy for a second that Mariko was winning. Even though I was watching on Spoil, I just didn't feel like uh, she had much of a chance, even though I really like her. And I think her whole gal wrestler thing is really cool. But, uh, you know, I just didn't think she had a shot here. Uh, so I went three and a quarter. It was pretty good. Nothing I think you got to go crazy to watch. Um... I mean, I guess it's kind of similar. Like, I enjoyed it, but it's definitely not, like, a must-watch. But uh, I think the thing that I like the most is, like, just there's this kind of, I guess, like, uh, culture clash between their their uh, whole, like, they both have, like, kind of these, like, uh, represent these certain subcultures. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Ikari with, like, the, like, goth punk thing and... Um, Marika with the whole like gal thing. Yeah, um, she said she's gonna make it the gal, the international gal title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has like her look to me. I'm like, this is straight out of like a 2000s like a Yumi Hamasaki music video, basically. Like, <laughs> I I like, you know, for me who like grew up like that was like the thing I was like super into was like you know, 2000s J-pop, it's, and I still love it so much, like, to me, like, her look was just, like, I went crazy, uh, in general, I just, you know, I think she has, like, a really great look, but also, like, um, you know, she's also a really great wrestler to back it up, she's, she's really good, um, you know, she, uh, I think she has, like, a lot of, what do you call it? I don't know what what you'd call it, but I guess she's she always seems like someone who is putting in like a thousand percent of herself, like her I guess physical effort into it, or like she I guess she always seems mm, not like that. Like I don't have put it, but she seems like she's fighting really hard all the time, like no matter what mm-hmm. in the match. Like she's. Um, I don't know. She's easy to root for, I guess, is the way to put it. She always seems like she's, uh, she's, she's big, uh, baby face energy. (laughs) (laughs) Should we we explain what gal is really quick? Oh yeah, sure. So it's like a, it's like basically a, uh, a fashion subculture in Japan, uh, that like really peaked in like the early two thousands and kind of declined after that. It's like very, I don't know, would you say like Americanized style, right? It's like a like a hyper-American, uh, you know, like these, you know, very tan, you know, like lots of blonde hair and like eyeliner and stuff. I mean, honestly, if you just look at Marika, I mean, that pretty much, she does the style. I mean, that pretty much is the style, you know? Yeah. Um, like, but it's made a big comeback lately. So, yeah. so like that, you know, it, it peaked originally, like I said, in the early 2000s, I would say. But like, yeah, it seems like it's having a big moment again. Uh, and you know, in the late late 2010s, early 2020s, 
And, you know, I assume that's why we now have a gal wrestler. Yeah, no, definitely, like, um, I mean, it really started more in, like, the 90s. Like, there's in the 90s, it started, I guess, um, there's this, like, magazine in Japan. Well, there was, called Fruits, that, like, the person who did it literally just, um, there used to be in Harajuku on Sunday, um, it's called Pedestrian's Paradise, where you weren't allowed to use cars. It was all pedestrians. So a lot of, like, alternative fashion, like, you know, fans of that, like, it's, like, teenagers and stuff, would, like, hang out there, and they'd shop, and they just, you know, uh, it's with, like, kind of the, the gal subculture, a lot of them, like, they're really into, like, Eurobeat mm. music, which is why Marika's, like, entrance music is Eurobeat, um, and they do this dance style called Para Para, which is, like, these, like, coordinated hand movements, yeah. and, like, they just, it was like, a there was a Bimani game, Power Power Paradise, which I played a few times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Based on the dance, but yeah. So, yeah. So, like, it kind of started in the 90s in a very, very extreme way as kind mm. of like a, like a, a fuck you to Japanese beauty standards, which it's like you're supposed to have, like, straight dark hair and be, like, very pale. Mm-hmm. So, instead, they're like, we want to look like the girls in... I think Baywatch was the yeah, biggest Baywatch inspiration big, for that. Inspiration. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, it's like very, also very like caught up in Shibuya. So like yes. Shibuya is like their home base. Uh, I remember from the, the sh- that uh, the high score girl famously has like a scene. I don't know if that's a show you've seen. But I've like, heard of it. It's yeah. like on my to, to watch list. And the, when he, it's, that's true set in the nineties and like he goes to Shibuya uh, during like I don't know, between ninety five and ninety six, and they run into some violent gals uh, <laughs> who were playing like metal games in an arcade, and they beat them up. So that's oh, like yeah. a kind of famous scene. But yeah, so Shibuya was like their turf. Yeah, Shibuya and, definitely kind of like Shibuya one hundred nine, kind of yeah, like Shibuya became the big turf. And then like also like there a shopping was, mall, by the way, people yes, wanna, like. Yeah. Also, um, I think it really kind of entered mainstream culture because there's this pop star, Yumi Hamasaki, mm-hmm. who's like one of the biggest pop stars of all time in Japan, and she had that style. Um, but it was like originally when the style started, like they were so tan that they looked like crispy and they used like <laughs> white eyeliner. So she had the kind of more toned down version of it that's more like that became kind of more like popular and that Marika uh, has. Mm-hmm. Kind of where they're like tan and they have like the bleached hair and everything, but they're not like they don't look sunburnt. Oh, not sunburnt. <laughs> they look like they literally look like a like a, a cookie that you've put in the oven. For I was gonna too say long. some of them look distressingly close to blackface. Yeah, but they, thankfully Marika is not doing that. Yeah, that uh that brand of uh gal style. It's really uh, funny because they're not doing blackface. They're trying to look like a like specific white people. Yeah. They've managed to <laughs> take it a little too far. Indeed. Uh, but yes, there you go. It's everything you want to know about Galu. <laughs> yes. Uh, but if, if you're wondering what the hell's up with Marika Kobashi's look now. Uh, but I, I, I fully support this look. I mean, we it, it, like I said, Gal is popular again in, in Japan. So it makes total sense to have a Gal wrestler. Yeah. I'm just uh, like super into Japanese fashion in general. So like seeing someone do like something very like involved in like Japanese fashion subcultures in general 
is something that's exciting for me because it's like, oh, that's one of my interests and I'm seeing when a, a wrestler do that, you know. Yeah. Uh, match number five was Yuka Sakazaki and Mizuki, the magical sugar rabbits, defeating Rika Tatsumi and Hyper Misao. Uh, Sakazaki pinned Misao with the magical girl Niwatari Yaro in 11.49. Um so this is kind of your like goofy comedy match, I guess. Your wacky comedy match. The Sugar Rabbits, especially, were in extra wacky mode. I yes. mean, they're both wrestlers who can be very. You know, they can do like very great serious matches, obviously when they want to. But they want, when they want to be wacky, boy, will they be wacky. Uh, Mizuki was like riding around on Yuka's back for like double team splashes, and they were yelling and shouting. It was like okay, they've they're on one today, as the kids say. Uh, Rika Tatsumi, she got a hot tag. She worked over uh, she worked over one of them for a while, but the Sugar Rabbits uh, cut her off be- as well before too long. Uh, we got a very nice crossbody off the top from Mizuki. That was a near fall. And then Yuka ends up pinning Misao at the Springboard 450. That was the long name move I gave before. Uh, this is a fun little match, uh, but, you know, nothing you got to go anywhere to see or anything. I'd say like three stars. Maybe, uh, you know, I, little, I don't know if you caught it a little disappointing, but it was just, they, they just went extra wacky with it. So it wasn't a lot to it to me. I guess for me, I love like that extra wacky. <laughs> so I really loved it. Um, the gimmick of it that was really funny is that suddenly like Hyper Misao had this like machine, um, I guess like this that she put on Rika's head that brainwashed her to change her love Rika's love for Mizuki into Rika now loving Hyper Misao. And, like, you know, so, so I guess Hyper Misao is super, super excited over, you know, and like being able to have, like, her love for Rika reciprocated, even if it is through questionable means. Um, but then, of course, at some point during the match, the helmet falls off. Um, Yuka actually tries to put it on Kishio, the ref, at some point, though he, uh, he manages to dodge that. Um, so, I guess, Misao, uh, and Rika still manage to team well, but I guess there's that early on hijinks. Um, I guess Misao was, like, now having, like, you know, normally her she doesn't have any big high tech gadgets. She really just has her like bike as a as a, as her gadget. Um, but I guess having the brainwashing thing and being kind of the the way she is, where she's like technically a heel, but she's so goofy that she's not really like a, a villain in any sort of meaningful way. Um, really makes me think of I don't know. Have you seen the show Phineas and Ferb? No. I mean, I know okay. I've never seen it. Okay, so there's this character in it, Dr. Doofenshmirtz, who is constantly trying to take over the tri-state area with, like, incredibly goofy uh, inventions and, like, is claims to be evil but really, like, isn't. Anyways, so Hyper Misao, when she had the gadget, that's, what, that's the first thing I thought of, was, like, <laughs> oh, my God. And so... I don't know. I just love Hyper Misao's whole like gimmick, where she's like, "Yes, I am a hero for love and peace," but she's also like constantly cheating and being <laughs> devious at the same time. I don't know. Makes her she's weirdly lovable because she is like 
incredibly hypocritical. Yeah. Which is really hard to, to, to I guess, pull off. <laughs> but she's, I a, was... she's a heel pretending to be a face who the crowd likes anyway. Yes. Yeah. It's anyway, very, so very unique. I, she, was, she was one of my favorites to watch. I was I always have a smile. So I really enjoyed this match. But I guess if you're not as into her character um, as, as I am, it probably won't be as interesting to you. There you go. Uh, match number four was Mirai Mayumi defeating Yuki Arai with the Miramar- Miramare in 1241. Uh, first of all, you'd think an actual honest-to-God idol like Yuki Arai, who's, uh, of course, from the SKE48 group, uh, the AKB spinoff, you'd think she could have less generic music. Like, she says this very generic song. It's like, what, she couldn't be bothered to sing something? It's just a very generic instrumental. And it's I like, feel like at the very least, like they play like an SK, whatever <laughs> SK's latest yeah. single is, like behind her. I mean, I don't really follow the Forty Eight groups anyway. Yeah, I, mean, so I don't, yeah. I don't know what they're doing, but you yeah. know. So I like, it's really funny. I used to be like deeply into them, and then like I see this growth from the Forty Eight groups, and like when they said Yuki, um, I guess there's a lot of other girls because Yuki's a very popular name, and there's also like fifty billion Forty Eight. Yeah group girls um so there's a lot of other girls i thought of that i know and then like she pops up and like actually i have no clue who she is (laughs) no yeah i talked to my my friend ethan who loved at one point was very deep in the 48 groups too but he's been out for so long i was like do you know yuki or ryan he's like no i don't know who that is like i I looked her up and she's like a fairly new member i see ske um yeah you know, long after I stopped paying attention. And SKU is, like, I guess never one of the groups I followed anyways. So, like, yeah. I only really knew the popular members. I mean, my them. you know, my, my friend knows, knows Jarena, obviously, who's, uh, you know, been a, been around wrestling a lot, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, does not know who's – she was also SKE48. But, yeah, Yuki Arai is uh, – well, she's long since graduated now. I don't, actually, I don't think it's been that long. When did when did she graduate? Last year, probably. Karina? Yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was last year. Yeah, so not that long ago, but yeah. yeah. So you I can think most pretty... of the most of the girls that I know have been out of AKB48 or like yeah. any of the 48 groups for a while now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like my my favorite graduated in I think like 2000. 16 maybe or 2017 um and i had already by that point really only been following like her and like a specific other member that i liked from nmb who's also since graduated um so like yeah i have no clue what's going on i always just follow whoever's graduating to see when the girls i know are graduating and yeah i'm pretty sure there's like maybe like one or two girls left that like i know yeah i mean i i know a ton of people who used to follow the 48 groups closely at some point i never really did but they've all stopped long since stopped following them so yeah i mean i could go on a long rant on like why they like had a downturn but no one wants to hear about that this is a wrestling (laughs) podcast not a japanese idol podcast didn't they they basically made their own competition right because they yes they made their own competition and the competition beat them what was the what was the name of that group again um the first one was nogizaka 47 that's the one i can always never remember i knew it was some other number nogizaka yeah and then yeah there was a second one that they made uh kayakizaka 46 which is like 
the one that's really like the biggest out of all the mm. 46 and 48 groups right now. Um, so yeah, but uh, Nogizaku is also bigger than uh, most of the 48 groups as well. Yeah. Um, but Kiyosu I knew that. I knew be, the they basically one. they basically play themselves. That's a, that's I know the story. But, I mean, uh... it's not really playing themselves because at the end. <laughs> Um, the guy who created AKB48 is also the guy who created right. like the 46 groups, the, the Sakamichi series as they're called. Um, so in the end, he still gets all the money. So yeah. <laughs> I guess he's not really playing himself so much as knowing that AKB and all those groups would go on fine and he had to create something new before that happened. Yeah, well... He he played it well then. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the point though is there's still the forty eight groups are still around, and Yuki Rai has a great crest or a great uh, axe kick, which is why she is now a full time pro wrestler while still being an idol. So, uh, but yeah, she was good in this match, and they put her against a really good opponent because Mariah is awesome, I and yeah, she really was a great base here for Yuki. So Yuki at one point seemed to really catch Mariah with a boot to the face at one point. Uh, they could say at one point twice. I'm sorry. Uh, but I think, like, you know, that's the kind of thing that maybe happens when you're a rookie. But Mariah was, like, grabbing the side of her face a lot afterward in a way that did not really look like selling to me. So it looked like she really cracked her. Uh, or maybe I just got worked. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Yuki and Mariah, they were just really pounding on each other with forearms to the chest before Yuki nearly backslided Mariah for a very close near fall. Uh, Mariah came back with a big short arm lariat for her own near fall. And then she finally managed to tap Yuki out with her Kimura. Uh, this was better than I was expecting, especially for a, one of the girls having like three matches under her belt. They hit each other hard. Yuki Arai almost looks shockingly good in there. I mean, she's just, she's a natural at this. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. She's very clearly better than a lot of other wrestlers, like three matches in their career. So three and a half stars. This was a good match. Um, I definitely agree. I think she has a lot of potential. I, like, wasn't sure what to think when she showed up because, uh, I guess it's kind of like, uh, you know, like, she's an idol who wants to wrestle and, yeah. you know, she, but she's still, like, she's not like, like, Ito, who's, like, a former idol or, like, up of girls who are formed specifically as idols who wrestle. She's just an idol who wanted to become a wrestler and still, still working as an idol, so it's kind of like... You know, did she does she even have time to train? And like, I was kind of unsure. But actually, she's yeah, she's got a lot of potential to to be really, really good. And Mirai, I always love watching Mirai. I think she's like, she just has this kind of like really cool and powerful aura that like is like really surprising for someone to have so early in their career. But yeah, you know, I think she's always always great to watch um, yeah for sure so i definitely enjoyed it it was it was a surprising match i was surprised that i enjoyed it but i really did yeah uh match number three yuki kamifuku and now kakuta defeating miyu watanabe and mahiro kiryu uh yuki pinned kiryu with the famouser in 11 11 uh so miyu watanabe her double power slams never cease to amaze me the girl's strong uh, but then that underhanded Yuki went to Miyu's eyes to break out of a front suplex. Very underhanded. Uh, she and uh, Mahiro suddenly just like start hitting each other pretty stiffly. Uh, Yuki first with hard slaps to the face 
and Mahiro with the uh, hard forearms to the chest. Uh, not something you see in like every Tokyo Joshi undercard match or anything. So they really started laying into each other. Uh, Yuki put a stop to that though by hitting the Famouser and then hit a second running one for the pin. So fun little tag. The stiffness at the end added something to it. I would go three and a quarter. Um, yeah, I would. I would definitely. I definitely enjoyed it as well. Um, I think it's really one thing that's really interesting with uh, Kamiyu that uh, is 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 interesting. She seems to be like way meaner in the ring to like people she's friends with. Yeah. Uh, she was definitely like that with uh, uh, Shirakawa Mina while she, when she was in Tokyo Joshi as well. Um, and I think it's really interesting. She's, I guess she has a, a, a tough love kind of thing going on. Um, so, and also I just, I just love Miu so much. I think she's, she's the best. So I love how she's like, her gimmick is that she's like super adorable and like pink and she's an idol, but also like she can lift up two girls at once and it's like no biggie for her. Yeah. You know, she's a strong idol. Uh, match number two. Uh, so here's the big mystery. Who the fuck is Kaya Toribami? No. Is she, is she a brand new student under a mask? Is she some other Joshi wrestler under a mask? Because she at some points looks almost too good for a, uh, a wrestler who's like two or three matches into her career. Like this match here with Shoko, which Shoko won, by the way, and uh, the with the un, unmanned local train hold in 747. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this match started out with some really nice mat wrestling. And to me, almost add to the argument that Kaya is likely some Joshi veteran during this gimmick. Like her technical wrestling was really smooth for a, you know, for a rookie here. But I will give credit to the uh, the Joshi podcast on this network, Jumping Bomb Audio, uh, Taylor Mainberg. He mentioned to me like basically all these Tokyo Joshi rookies have been really, really good lately. I mean, look what we just said about Yuki Arai a little earlier. And there's there's been plenty of other ones too. Like, you know, Mahiro is, was really good pretty much right from the start and some other people. Um, but yeah, I mean, like a lot of the Tokyo Joshi uh, students have looked really good. So like, I don't know. I mean, she could just be a student who is a natural for it, but I guess we'll, maybe we'll find out at some point. But yeah, I went three and a quarter on this as well. The mat work early on was really the standout here for me. Very good mat work. Um, I guess for me, I think, I think Kai is just like, just, I mean, I understand what's being said about like, oh, well, a lot of the students are just really good, but I think there's definitely some sort of, I guess, she seems too used to the, to, to wrestling. <laughs> she seems too smooth and too natural because, like, even, like, the, you know, they're really good. There's also, you know, you can still kind of tell that they're rookies. Like, there's not, like, you know, there's still awkward bits, even if, you know, they're really good as well. Whereas she seems too used to wrestling. I sort of agree. You know, um, but at the same time, I don't, that's fine with me, you know. Uh, I think I already love her. I think she's she's great to watch and also i just love her her mask is very cool yeah um as well and i think the match itself was really really fun to watch really good um and i'm really excited to see what happens with uh kaya um in tokyo joshi if she's going to be like 
continue to kind of be treated like just a regular rookie and like slowly make her way up or if she's going to get more of like a, a big push uh, going because she's, you know, so good or may or may not just be a, a veteran. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm interested to see what they're going to do with her, but I think she's, you know, fantastic. Shoko's always great and it was a great match. The opener was Nodoka Tenma, Yuki Aino, Raku, and Palm Harajuku defeating Suzume, Haruna Neko, Moka Miyamoto, and Arisu Endo. Uh, Raku pinned Endo with the Dr. Yellow in 12.05. Um, everyone in this match really liked to imitate everyone else's entrance pose when they're coming out for some reason. That was kind of funny. Uh, but that was, to me, the highlight of the match, honestly. Uh, the match itself was fine. You know, Raku pinned Endo with her running neckbreaker. It was a pretty typical Tokyo Joshi multi-woman opener here. Enjoyable, nothing really special or stand out, but, uh, you know, three stars. Perfectly fine. Just nothing you're going to remember. Um, I um, I really enjoyed it. I'm just, in general, like, a big fan of Raku. I think she's, I don't know, she's well, really she's funny. A, she's, she's adorable. I mean, that's Yeah, she's helps. adorable. She's really funny, <laughs> but also, like, she's, like, you know, if you watch her now and compare to her, how she was, like, even, like, you know, a year ago, like, she's improved so much. Um, she used to feel really, like, awkward and stuff. Yeah. Sometimes, but she's definitely, like, she's improved really quickly and is now, like, definitely, like, doesn't seem any, doesn't seem to be anything about her that's, like, particularly, like, stands out as, like, awkward or, like, she needs to work on or anything. Um, she seems way smoother. Um, than she was before and that's always it's always fun to see like you know people kind of the training like people who are like you know younger trainees and stuff like that kind of come into themselves like you know like she's been i think this is her third year wrestling i think um i believe that's correct yeah yeah um also i have to give her big props for wrestling in like uh japanese like lolita fashion um, partially because, of course, I'm just really, I'm, I myself like to dress in Japanese style, like, you know, Lolita fashion. Um, but also because, like, you know, I wear, because I've worn it, I know how hard it is to, like, exist in that. <laughs> and the fact that she wrestles in it is super impressive to me. Um, so. There you go. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, so that's the Tokyo Joshi show, I would say. You know, uh, going back over it, I actually thought it was better than I thought it was when I first started the show. Uh, better than the TDT show, I think, overall, uh, with an, an awesome main event and some good stuff on the undercard. Uh, maybe my standard for Tokyo Joshi Corrigan's is very high because I usually think I enjoy them a little more than this one, but still a really good show. I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, same. Like, to me, it's just... I actually... I kind of took a long hiatus from watching wrestling, so I hadn't, like, watched it for, like, a few months until, uh, like, a few weeks ago. And the only things I was watching to start off with were... I was watching AEW, <laughs> which was interesting. Was, <laughs> you know, I was very curious because everyone talks about it all the time, and I wanted to see what people were talking about. Um, and the... English language one match Tokyo Joshi shows. That's JPW, which are really fun. 
uh, to watch because it's just like you know it's really easy to watch if you're like someone like me who has a very low attention span they're only like you know a little over 20 minutes and it's just one match with English commentary um, and pretty good English commentary too um, so if you're someone who I guess is kind of curious about Tokyo Joshi but doesn't know where to jump in um i mean there's been i think like 20 something episodes of it so far and they're all like very quick to watch and so for me it was like a good way to kind of jump back into it um so it's probably good also as a way to introduce yourself to it as well um so it, actually getting to watch like a full tokyo joshi show once again you know just just you know, like, I remember, like, why, like, out of all the promotions, it's, like, one of the few where, like, I don't feel like I need to take a break at any point. Because normally, like, when I watch wrestling shows, I watch them, like, after they happen. Because after, like, you know, sometimes, like, two or three matches, it's, like, I need to I need to take a break. But this mm -hmm. show, it's, like, I just watched it all the way through, you right. know. It's, like, it just feels so fun and every match feels so different so it doesn't feel like i'm watching like just one big long wrestling show it feels like i'm watching like a bunch of you know just a bunch of self it's very every match feels very uh so unique from each other it feels like i'm watching just a bunch of different things instead of like one show which i like about tokyo joshi yeah so it's uh definitely it, it is like a lot of fun and like definitely very light and easy to watch all in one setting so uh there you go let's wrap things up because we went a lot longer than i thought we were in these <laughs> two shows we discussed a lot of random stuff though so that's probably why like i don't i can't think of many other podcasts i could teach you about or especially wrestling podcasts that can go into the uh the 48 groups uh <laughs> gal culture uh, how's the other show we discussed? But uh, definitely a a fun time as always with you, Haley. So, anything you want to plug? Um, I guess I'll plug my Twitter account. Um, which is actually I don't talk about wrestling a lot in it, but if you like K-pop, <laughs> uh, then you'll really enjoy my account. Um, I mean I'm sorry to talk about wrestling more in it, but uh. Because I took a bit of a hiatus from it, there's not a lot in there. Um, but probably there will be more going forward as I start to get more immersed in it. Because as I took a hiatus, because I was really disappointed in wrestling for a bit. It just made me feel really depressed. But I ended up missing it so much that I like I have to watch it again. It's like, the internal cycle. Yeah, it's just like a <laughs> compulsion. Like I must watch wrestling. Like it's it's just so good. We're all just um, so, uh, yeah, my, my Twitter is, it's, uh, Chwerry Colored, C-H-O-E-R-R-Y, and then Colored spelled the British way. Um, so... I'm glad I'm not the only one with a impossible to explain Twitter handle to, to random people. I'm like, you can't just be like, this is my Twitter handle. I don't know. Here's, here's how you spell it. I never give out my personal Twitter handle on this show, by the way. I only ever plugged the Omikase one. So if you want to find me on Twitter, uh, look around. <laughs> I, never, I never give my own Twitter handle. Yeah. 
Yeah, because well, mine is mine is I guess hard to explain because it crosses over to very very unrelated references in it, but mm-hmm. it's a K-pop related. It's part of it is a K-pop related name, and I mostly tweet about K-pop. So I guess for most people that see my name, it's actually it's it's somewhat understandable, and like mm-hmm. so it's not really an issue. Uh. But yeah, now saying it's a bunch of wrestling fans who have no clue why I spelled the word cherry that way are, you know, are going to be like very confused. But it's the name of a K-pop idol. That's all I'll say because I don't think you want to know more. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There you go. So, folks, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. Wrestling would not fit. Uh, Like I said, if you want to join us on the Patreon, it is patreon.com slash wrestling omakase that will be the only place to find our mid-year awards coming up this weekend uh if you are not going to join us on the patreon we will see you back here in two weeks for our next free episode which will cover the king of dt finals from july 4th probably some other stuff too haven't figured out yet exactly what waiting to see if this noah yokohama radian hall show from the july 3rd is anything worth covering so we'll get back to you on that uh, but yes, definitely the DAT final. Obviously, that will be the big thing for that episode. Uh, in the meantime, thank you as always for listening, and I will see you next time.